Metallica. Here they come, the kings of metal. Hey everyone, this is Tom Quee here from Alpha Metallica, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Mill Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. Hey folks, this is Clint Wells here from the future. You are about to hear Ethan say that this is episode 139 of Metal Up Your Podcast, but I'm here to tell you it's not. This is actually, in fact, episode 146, I believe. When we chatted with our buddy Wes a few weeks ago, we were not able to put the episode out that very week as we thought we would be able to for lots of different logistical reasons, but we are putting it out today. So any references to that episode number or anything that was going on at that time, please forgive us. We love you out there in Metal Up Your Podcast land. Hope you're well. We'll see you on the flip-flop. Peace. This is episode 139, and tonight we're so excited to have another guest in HQ1. My good friend, your good friend, everyone's new best friend, Mr. Wes Fisk. Good up for Wes. Hey, y'all. So, for those of you who don't know, Wes, Wes and I, a uh, quick little history, work together with Kings of Leon. He still does shows with them from time to time. Uh, Wes, currently, his main job is to work for this little band called Metallica. We should start a podcast about them at some point. We should. That would be a good idea. You want to be in on that, Wes? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> We've mentioned Wes a few times, and plus, I think if, if you were at our two-year anniversary party, Wes was in attendance, he although was. briefly, because he'd get some shut-eye, because the next day there was a Metallica show. Yep. So, uh, the tour that we were given backstage at Bridgestone Arena that Paul and I were given, you were busy working, I believe, right. in a rehearsal or some such, yep. doing porno or something. It's porno. Um, Wes generously took us into the inner belly of the Metallica Arena tour, where we were able to basically wide-eyed, googly-eyed, walk around, meet all the techs. It was the first time we met Chad, mm-hmm. who, I, like you mentioned, I've talked to, and um, we met Zach, Justin, all of them. Talked to the LD, I believe, mm-hmm. for probably yeah, about 45 minutes. That's cool. And uh, we're going to find out once again today from Wes, the Metallica crew world that we've been able to talk to, whether it was Matt, the pyro, Matt Thomas, pyro world, mm-hmm. have been so cool and informative and in giving us sort of a peek under the old hood of our favorite band. Right, yeah. And the funniest thing about that, which we mentioned on the show, I guess it's not that funny. It's like the Louis C.K. bit hilarious. He's like, I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> right. Hilarious means it's so funny you went insane. Yeah. It was but hilarious. Wes basically dropped Paul and I off in Metallica catering because <laughs> he had to go work. And he, he ba- we were like, do we need to leave? Or can we like sit in here for a minute? And his, it, basically his parting words are like, just be cool. Be cool. Just, you know, be cool. Exactly. Which we were. But, but as Paul and I were sitting there having actually kind of a deep conversation about like our careers and stuff. Yeah. Walkie by Robert Trujillo. Walkie by Kirk Hammett. Heard of him. And we're like, oh, shit. Be cool, be cool. That day was interesting, though, because at the Little Rock show before that, one of James' guitars got really fucked up. And Chad fixed it that day, and James had showed up to sound check because he wanted to make sure the guitar was fine. Right, yeah. So it was almost like a clearing of the room because Papa Head had showed up. Yeah. So anyway, Wes, thank you once again for that. I think Wes has even hooked us up with some posters from the gigs and... 
Oh, he, he's another. He's another. He's in the Metallic Claws family for sure. Now, for those of you who don't know what he currently does for the band, he is in charge of two main things. Stop me if I'm wrong, Wes. One is uh, setting up the tuning room, correct? Which we're going to talk all about. Tuning room is one of my favorite parts of Metallica. Agreed. Yeah. And then Wes is also the guy running James's teleprompter. The word wedge. Word wedge. Word wedge. The word wedge. Uh, so, meaning if if Wes is sleepy on his job, Jamesy's doesn't know the second verse to the memory <laughs> remains. <laughs> he he probably does. He might know that one. Yeah, well, maybe maybe the newer stuff. I don't know. Maybe newer stuff. But a, a lot of times, you know, I know that you know with Kings, we you know had a word wedge. Um, a lot of times with singers, it's just a, like a safety net. Right. You know, a lot of singers rarely even look at it. Sure. You know, but it's like if you're in the heat of the moment and you know passionate part of the set and all of a sudden you're like oh shit i gotta go sing and you blank glance down real quick and then there's a little reminder there well i know that we're apparently not supposed to use the word prompter but it's a basically a prompt uh somewhat yeah, His, yeah. theirs is a lot different theirs isn't like uh other teleprompter gigs that i've done because right. i've run teleprompter for different bands mm-hmm. um theirs is it's it is what ethan just said it's more of just a reminder it's not actually scrolling words mm-hmm. it's just there's just a couple of keywords there. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to get into all the details. I know that when we got to see your world, Paul and I, we were actually like, will you toggle through some of this? We actually looked at <laughs> Yeah. And there was one really funny song. I think it was Sanitarium where the only word, it was like two words. Yeah. You know, it's, just just, to, it's the first words of the verse. Right. That's it. So I want to hear about all that and Kings of Leon and how you guys got into it with each other, how you got the Metallica gig. Oh, you'll hear how we got into it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. At, at Vocal Hour with... Ethan and Clinton West. In a world where Ethan and West got into it in Bilbao, Spain. In the meantime, <laughs> we're going to knock out some housekeeping, but we're going to make it quick because we've got Wes here sitting with us, but although he's he's just crushing and cracking beers over here, yeah. he may not be able to even speak by the time we get to the we'll uh, main part. Um, in, in the news, we'll get right some into news, some news. Yeah. The All Within My Hands Foundation gig, which happened this year, they put out the vinyl. Mm-hmm. Our friend Chris Yurgis won a dinner with Torben. They played a bunch of crazy cool songs. Uh, they've announced they're going to be doing a second one, which I guess it went so well that they may perennially do this now. Yeah, my, I'd imagine become an annual thing. They raised a shitload of money that went to their charity. And uh, Wes, would you know anything about that? Are we now doing this every year? I have no Is it no, set in stone? I, I, I find out most of my information from Instagram just like you do. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's true. There, there have been times where they've announced, the band's announced something. I'm like, dude, Wes, this is awesome. He's like... I heard about it as soon as you did. Well, in in our uh, so I already did an interview with Chad that's not quite out yet, mm-hmm. and uh, which is James's guitar tech, and we I asked him some of those things too. I said, "When did you know about S and M too? How far in advance?" And he said, "Man, I usually find out stuff from diehard fans before I even know." Yeah, yeah, and that seems to kind of be the case. Yeah, they're with, pretty. I mean, it's it, as you have to be as a band. You have to stay pretty tight lipped about things if right, you want them, right. you know, to be special. But yeah, we. We don't find out about it any earlier than most people. Right. Yeah. And I actually want to get into some of the particulars of that because I know that you're in Nashville now uh, doing some rehearsals with the Kings of Leon because you work with them. I'm curious how off-season type stuff works when they don't give you much notice and how you uh, negotiate that. Right. Yeah. Um, but they have announced a second show. It's March 28th, 2020 at the Masonic, which is the same venue mm-hmm. in San Fran. This is if they do end up doing it, it's going to end up being a destination gig for fans all over the world. Absolutely, it's such yeah. a weird, cool, rare thing. Well, and I think with, with that release of that vinyl and and how cool the arrangements were for certain songs, I mean, it's going to become like you said, one of those destination must go to shows for people. Coolest thing about it, in my opinion, is seeing them with supplemented auxiliary musicians. Yeah, that was really cool. Who really fleshed out 
You know, they had a guy playing guitar and then like Mando, some singing. Steel. Percussion, steel guy. That was a real treat for me to see Metallica yeah. like that. Wes, you think you can get me in on that to play lap steel? Uh, absolutely, of course. He doesn't yeah. know when the next gig is, but he right. can. Get, yeah, he yeah. Can get I'll get you there. The Whatever, band. whenever it is. Shoot I'll, a large text right now and let him know that I'm down to play lap steel. <laughs> so that's March 28, twenty twenty. I know that a lot of people are excited about that. Uh, that's all we have for news, really. Oh, you know, Robert did. Oh, he did the black and whiskey. He did a thing. black and whiskey signing in Chicago, that's right. and I know that. Um, Several of our Melody Podcast friends went. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, Ralph Chevetto went. Our friend Faroe went. Yeah, uh, it looked like a cool thing. I guess they're some of the boys are kind of being ambassadors for the whiskey in different yeah. places. I don't know business wise how that makes a lot of sense. Don't think James is going to probably do one of those, but I just I'm imag- here's what I'm doing right now, guys. I'm imagining that I'm Robert Trujillo, and I'm in the biggest rock band ever, and I've got a smoking hot wife and a cool little kid, and I'm fucking living in L.A. Hey Robert, uh, we just got done in Europe and doing these big high stress SNM two shows. Can you go to Chicago and meet a bunch <laughs> of fans and sign whiskey bottles? I'm like, ah, is James doing it? Uh, I think I'm gonna go surfing. They're like Robert. There's a real distinct reason we're sending you. Right. The newest one in the band has to go. He's got to do it. New, the new guy. He's got to do the whiskey signings. All joking aside, that is cool that they do shit like that, and you can yeah. go get some of that awesome whiskey, which we've had. And yeah. Have you had tried any of the whiskey? I do not drink whiskey. Don't drink whiskey. But you're... didn't you get a bottle as a gift? I have a bottle. Yeah. I'm not going to drink it. Mm. Hey, that's cool. It's just, is it in a place of honor? Uh, my cupboard at home. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. If you've seen Wes's cupboard, then you know it's a place of honor. Uh, Maybe if... a portal. <laughs> I place it in the portal. the portal of the cupboard. Sorry, Wes. We might do a, quite a bit of medieval talking I'm, tonight. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, I will say before we move on into the iTunes and patrons, we've gotten such an awesome response from our uh, Scott Pingle episode. We have, yeah. It, it's all the comments on Instagram, a couple emails. It's becoming people's one of their favorite episodes. I wish that we could take credit for it, but I think really it's because he was so nice. He was insanely nice. He's yeah, super super cool dude. Yeah. Oh, and I, and I want to hear kind of how how you interface with some of that stuff too. I want to hear a lot of S and M two stuff from you. If, we're going to be here for like seven hours. Yeah. Sorry, Wes. Everyone, buckle <clears> up. <throat> we're going to finish this. I'm going to drive you straight to rehearsal tomorrow yeah, morning. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> so the main conductor of the symphony, Edwin, I literally just tonight emailed with, and he's going to come on the show too. That's and so we're awesome. Hear all about you know his side of things, getting uh, getting everyone ready for S and M two. Yeah. So, that's so awesome. Um, it's really fun. Also, Scott and I. We're texting this morning, and he is excited to and has agreed to be on a Lunar Satan song. No way. Is he yeah. going to play upright bass on one of your jams? He's going to do the bode, you know, the dark bode, the kind of the what he did for the cliff thing. Yes. He's going to do that on one of my Lunar Satan songs. <laughs> I love it. I need to incorporate him on an upcoming reggae tune. <laughs> I was like trying to be delicate with him about it because he seems like such a nice, sweet dude. I'm like, dude, it's, you know, it's about Satan, but it's not real. It's, it's silly. Well, he also like kind of offered it on the show, too. Oh, when, dude. When we joked about him coming to Nashville and playing on tunes, he was like, hey, anytime. I was like, it's like super evil and creepy. He was like, dude, creepy's good. Creepy better. I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, if you really like the show, you can leave us a positive review on iTunes, of course. You can tell your buddies about it. Tell your mom about it. I don't know. Yeah. Tweet about it if you've got your own blog or podcast or vlog. As they say. Or clogs. Or if you clog. Yeah. If you clog, etch the website of our show into your clog. And when you go clogging at the portal. In the portal. At the Dawn Patrol, uh, people will see that you like Metal Up Your Podcast and maybe come find us. If you really like the show, you can become a patron. You can. It's real easy. We're going to hear a commercial about it later so that we don't have to talk about it Correct. anymore. But we are going to read some of the names of the new patrons. we got some new ones. Yeah, we got some new ones this week. We have Ryan Longworth, David uh, Marich. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Levine. Martin Kelly and Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. Thank you, guys. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. Crack it up, Wes. There you oh. go. Wes <laughs> tried to find an uh, indiscreet time to crack that. It just cut through the clapping. <laughs> no, it, do, it, it doesn't work. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we we ought to put like reverb on that's it, a sa- that, that That's the sound effect of uh, effect of the Rockies right there. <laughs> Tapping the Rockies? Tap the Rockies. Okay, Tapping the Rockies. Right. I'm going to have to... Mountains are blue. I'm going to have good. to take a, a break at some point and get, go refill Wes. Give him two more. He's already had 26 beers yeah. in the last six <laughs> That's minutes. That's why he's actually talking to the mic already. All right, come find us on the socials. Let's not even say it. We got a bunch. You know where they are. Let's not even say it. All right. Uh, let's get to the email. So uh, we love hearing from the Middle of Your Podcast family. Wait, do we have anything else to say? Let's just skip everything else. Let's just go to the email so we can talk to Wes. Okay. Because <laughs> Wes is on like permanent quiet time while we do emails. He's been told <laughs> no speaking during this section. Don't speak. <laughs> Um, it's metal up your podcast show at gmail.com questions concerns comments we love hearing from the fam we love taking the pulse and we love uh, who knows what type of wonderful tangents never know. might emerge from the email section love it so let's take a ride there and what we like to lovingly and medievally call the email corner All right, our first email, email is from our good friend Will Valor. It says, Clint Ethan, uh, I think the Scott Pingle episode was my favorite Melbourne podcast episode ever. Uh, being a former bass player myself, playing career cut short because of an injury, that's a bummer. Um, Scott's whole story was completely captivating. I loved hearing about his audition process for the orchestra, his love of Jocko's music, and, and how he especially laid it all out on the line to make anesthesia portion of the show happen. Also, I want to congratulate you both on executing an extremely professional and entertaining interview. Uh, he also sent us a picture of uh, him in old Trujillo. Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, yeah. Uh, as you heard on the episode, I mean, yeah, Scott's an amazing person. Awesome story. The audition process with the wall or the curtain or whatever, and you can't see the judges. And it was stressful just to hear about it. But uh, yeah, thanks for, I uh, hope you're glad you enjoyed that. And thanks for writing in, dude. Our next email is from Dan Murphy. He says, howdy. I've been able to secure tickets to three shows in October, both shows in Melbourne and one in Brisbane. I heard on an earlier episode that Sarah secured herself a black ticket for the Australia shows. Wondering whether you could pass my email address along to her, as I'd love to attend a meetup with her and her group and say good day. Good day, mate. I'm going to one of the shows with my 13-year-old daughter. Cannot wait to see her face when she sees the boys. Keep up the great work, and if you are ever going through Bendigo, Victoria, Australia, I don't know why that gave me a little tickle. Because it's so (laughs) Australian-sounding. If you ever going through... Uh, dingo. Ma, well, you been to Bendingo? And isn't the whole thing that a dingo ate the baby and, dingo ate my and baby. such. Yeah, I guess this is where the dingoes come from. Bendingo, <laughs> Victoria, Australia, give me a call. And the beers are on me. Dan, New Jersey, Australia. Um, I believe I did pass Dan's info on to our good friend Sarah Sobek of the Saravan. Yeah, she needs to be part of the, or he needs to be part of the Aussie version of the, of the Saravan. I know that Sarah is uh, uh, always open to meeting new people, her and Pete and the whole Saravan. They know Wes now. Oh yeah, you've well because you probably saw them every day for. Well, I mean, we met on the rail. I think we were holding a spot for her at That's one point right. when we were there, and uh, coming back from S and M, we were at we were on the same flight home okay. through Atlanta. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I sat and talked to her for okay. a while. Her and her husband. They're I got super, a, super super other oh, cool great. people. Yeah. They're great. Absolutely. I got I was out on the road and uh, and got a text from Sarah that day and said, "Look, look, look who I found." And I was like, "Oh, Wes." I, I and it's an inside joke. No one will understand, but. I texted her back and said, give him a big hug, hug for me and say, pow. Yeah. You guys understand that. Wow. Yeah. Funny story. Killer. Yeah, you had to be there. Yeah. Killer joke. You had to be there three years ago when it came yeah. to be. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks for the email. Happy to pass your info along. Now, once I pass that info along, there's nothing I can do. Uh, I'm not a, a matchmaker. It's out of your hands. Um, Cupid, am I not? 
it is all without my hands. All without <laughs> your hands? But Cupid, draw back your bow. <laughs> uh, thanks, Dan. Uh, next email is from uh, Mike Thomas. He says, what's up, dudes? I was talking with a buddy the other day, and we, uh, we both had a killer time at the Nashville party last year, or the, uh, this, this year, just last January. Uh, are you guys planning to do another one next year? And if so, do you need help organizing it? If so, give me a shout. We'd love to help out. If you don't need help, fuck it. We're good with just coming down, chilling and at the party again. Peace and love, Mike. Uh, I figured we're getting not too far off from our third anniversary, and the answer is yes, we will have another party, probably at the Cobra, mm-hmm. uh, schedule permitting, because I've got a bunch of shows in January this time, which normally doesn't happen. Oh, do you? I do. I'm really busy in January. I'm just, I'm all booked up. Well, what, were you going to finish that? What, what else is there you were saying? Sorry. Oh, no, I was just, uh, just, yeah. Look, anyone that lives in the Nashville area wants to travel to it. We, we'll do another party. I mean, it, it was. The last one was so great because uh, Wes, obviously. My, Wes was there. Because right, Wes exactly. was there. Yeah. And uh, I was not eating his burrito. Um, <laughs> no. But just because Metallica was playing the next night and everyone was already in town. Right, yeah. I mean, so it's it going to be just, tough to top that one. It's going to be hard. But I mean, Although our first year party where none of that was happening and we were way less known right. was also an awesome party. It was a good time. I don't think this one will be as packed for as long, but I think we'll still have a good solid party. And it'll probably be around January sometime. Yeah. Schedule permitting. Schedule permitting. Um, and if you dudes want to help out or have any ideas for what we can do that's special about it, that'd be awesome. People have toyed around with the idea of like karaoke, which would be fun. It'd be fun, yeah. And uh, Life cover having band. a band. The only problem is, I mean, we all work in the music industry. Do we really want to hear loud music at our own party? <laughs> Are we really going to throw our own party with our own rules and still have to listen to loud music? What if it was live band karaoke? I mean, that sounds... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. This is Grumpy Clint coming okay, out. Okay, here we go. That sounds really fun for maybe one song. <laughs> yeah. Just and one. <laughs> because the thing is, everyone's going to want to do it, and it's right. going to be an hour won't be long enough. Here's the thing about the uh, about the parties thus far that have been so fun for us is there's not a live band playing. It's not super loud. We have a playlist going of all Metallica tunes, but it's also uh, it's just loud enough where everyone can hear it. But it's also not loud enough where we can interact with everybody, have a good time, kind of meet and greet everybody in the room. Because when a loud band's playing, no one can meet each other or talk. Yeah, we're yelling the whole time. Palaver, if you what will. was your name? Um, what's your username on the forum? Whose burrito did I eat? Uh, it's it's cooler when we can do things like trivia, have fun, laugh a little bit. Yeah, and I love giving things away to our fans, and uh, and then we can just go out and mingle and have fun and yeah. drink too much and all that stuff. Maybe Wes can come. Maybe, maybe. Well, I know you got see. the miles, Wes. Come on, I got a few miles. You have a few miles. Where are you based out of, Wes? Uh, I live north of Daytona Beach, Florida. And what is your exact address? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to know where the cupboard is. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, all that said, yeah, we are doing a party, and yes, you can help. We'll we'll hammer out details as closer we get to it. Why don't you guys throw it, and we'll show up as guests? Hey, that'd be fun if someone else wants to do it. <laughs> and maybe we, and well, maybe we'll just show up fashionably and then split, <laughs> hang out for about forty five minutes. And, yeah. And then, um. All right. Our last email is from now. Okay. So just we're gonna get kind of serious, serious for a second. Quick serious mode. I received this. Uh, it wasn't a private message. Someone wrote this on the forums. There's a thread titled like mental illness, and someone tagged me and us in this. And this is what they had to say. And they they wrote this on the forums. So yeah. this isn't some like private thing that I'm, you know, uh, telling tells out of school or anything. And I, I want to read it not only for the person, I, I wrote back to this person right. privately, but for anyone who might uh, be encouraged by this. So yeah. <clears throat> this is from J.K. Carr, Carr spelled like Eric Carr, late drummer of one of my favorite bands, Kiss. 
Nice. Who says, I haven't been to the forum in probably six months or so. I've been going through a really tough time, which is sad because this year started out as possibly one of the best years yet. I had to start seeing a psychologist after having a couple of days where I was having suicidal thoughts. My girlfriend freaked out. She's still freaked out and worried, and I'm going on now four months trying to get better, but the progress is slow. She doesn't know everything. She doesn't know the whole story of why I'm like this. Anyway, one of the things the psychologist recommended was for me to find stuff to distract myself with, so I'm giving the forums a shot again, though I don't really feel I have the energy or joy for it. Not even listening to music has helped, except for the occasional song here and there. Oddly enough, the only thing that has helped me, the only thing really that distracts me has been the Metal Up Your Podcast show. So thanks to Clint Wells and Ethan for that. Uh, I have tickets to go see Metallica in Sydney next month, so usually I'd be in total geek mode right now, but the joy just isn't there. Writing's supposed to help, and this was a really fun place to hang out, so I'm giving it a shot. So that's him sort wow. of reintroducing himself to the forums and saying, hey, I've had a really shitty yeah. six months, and the things that used to sort of be comforts for me in those times aren't really doing it, but mm-hmm. amazingly enough and humbling enough, the show, yeah. us sitting around talking about Metallica and, and making up portals. characters and <laughs> portals uh, has helped this dude. So I mean, that's that's very very encouraging. I mean, uh, to him, I mean, I, I would just yeah keep listening then, man, because I mean, if this is helping you, then that's amazing. And also, another thing that maybe where you are mentally right now it might not make sense, but I mean, we've experienced firsthand how welcoming the Metallica community is. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're nervous about going to the show or you don't have that excitement and joy yet. I mean, maybe start reaching out to some people through the forums uh, to meet up with some folks and have a, a good crew to hang with while you're there. Absolutely. I would recommend, uh, you know, there's a, there's a different thread for every gig on the forums, especially as the date gets closer. Yeah. So as that Sydney date gets closer, you're going to find a bunch of excited people that are going to want to meet up. And totally. Go to a bar or a pub, whether they're drinking or not or whatever. And, you know, anyway, hang in there. Yeah, go say uh, hi to West too. Yeah, hey, Wes. Yeah. Wes will give you a big hug. Yeah, he will. I'm and, a good hugger. You then, are, yeah, it's very true. And then from, I don't understand it, but apparently you can tell him pow. <laughs> pow! And that's, <laughs> and that's some sort of pyro joke that you guys have from your... Uh, well, anyway, so that's that's going to do it for emails. Thank you for everyone. And uh, we love hearing from you. Once again, metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. We're going to get out of here right now and talk to our friend Wes. Let's leave now. Thus we live if... The email corner. Hey, it's Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we hope you're enjoying the Metal Tales from the Road series. If you've been keeping up with us, then you already know that we've covered every stop on the 2018. 2019 North American Arena Tour, and we look forward to catching up with all of our European friends later this year on the Stadium Tour overseas. And there's more! After the Stadium Tour, we are continuing the Metal Tales series for any Metallica show in the past. Maybe you saw one of the Orion festivals. Maybe you were at the Channel in 1984 and Cliff Burton bought you a beer. Maybe you were at one of the 30th anniversary shows, or you just saw a regular-ass show in North Dakota somewhere. We want to hear from you. Since Ethan and I started Metal Up Your Podcast, we've wanted to find a way for listeners to call in and share their stories. Well, this is it. To make yourself eligible for a future or past Metal Tales episode, please consider joining us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you not only get to come on the show as a guest, you also get both of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, monthly giveaways like deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, 
posters, and other goodies. You get early access to our YouTube videos, and we also let you ask our guests like Ray Burton, Michael Wagner, Hailstorm, members of Slipknot, your very own questions. For what essentially amounts to two cups of coffee a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. For any of you on the ride with us, we love you, we thank you, peace and adios. All right, well, here we are sitting here in HQ1, as you know, with our friend Wes Fisk of mm-hmm. Metallica fame, of Florida fame, really. True. Of Florida fame. Um, so a quick, you know, I, I briefly t- you know, touched on us working with Kings Leon together, um, but to kind of elaborate on that, Wes and I met in 2013. I just gotten hired on with Kings Leon with literally a day's notice. So I got hired the next day I was on a plane to Germany. I probably met you that day. I just, it was I such so. a whirlwind. Yeah, it was, it was really... It was a very odd situation, and it was also this in, yeah. this really shitty arena in Frankfurt, Germany that that didn't have air conditioning, and they were no. going through a heat wave. Yeah. Wow! It was miserable, and my first thought was, "Oh shit, Kings Leon and that kind of band that don't want the AC on." Oh, like that's going to be the norm. That's what I thought it was going to be. I was like, "This is going to suck. I'm going to quit real soon." <laughs> How long had you been with Kings at that point, Wes? Uh, I started with Kings in 2010 as the pyro guy. Okay, and were mm-hmm. you still doing pyro when you met Ethan? No, I was already on the teleprompter. Okay, cool. Yeah, and word carpenter. Word, no, Kings Leon used teleprompter. <laughs> teleprompter. <yeah. laughs> well, we're going to get into the minutia detail of yeah. the differences between those two things here soon. Um, but but so you know, Wes and I, uh, it, it's a, a very tight knit group um, of the of kind of the core crew with mm-hmm. that camp. Uh, Nacho, who's their their cousin, been their tech since day one, um, and so I was very welcomed in that camp, and Wes was one of those people that welcomed me. We weren't on the same bus, but we started hanging and stuff. And um, I'm curious if you guys remember what was. I'll start with you, Ethan. Yeah, okay. What's your first memory of Wes? You said you may have met that first day. Of course, that's a blur. Yeah. What's your first memory of like? Because you guys are buddies. Yeah. We're all buddies, but it's safe to say you guys are tight. What's your first connection point? I think it was a, it was one of the first days off we had when I started, and I didn't really know who did what or what people were into. And so I was like, well, I'll just get up and go do my normal thing. And then I think at some point I either found a bunch of you guys in the hotel lobby bar or a bar really close by the hotel. And so I was like, I'm still getting to know people. I didn't know one person in that camp except for the guy I was teching for. So I'm just trying to make friends here. And so I ended up, you know, it was probably Wes, Nacho, uh, the guy named Jay. And you were teching for Chris. Is that right? Yeah. Chris was the ox guy, the guy who I ended up taking over for. Right. Um, and that's so weird because I know Chris because I was playing with Holly. Yeah. I was basically doing Chris's role with Holly Williams. That's Chris's wife, who's a wonderful right. artist and the granddaughter of Hank Williams. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of filling in for Chris when he couldn't do that gig because he was with Kings. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. an interesting degrees of separation because that's even way before we knew each other. Right. Oh, yeah. Way before. So day off, you guys hang out at a bar. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember any specifics, but I think, I think enough of those started to happen. And then, you know, during the, the load in times, we start to interact more and I'm learning people's names and you know um you know or it's like hey this thing's broken on the riser it's like oh you talk to Wes he's a set carpenter you know I'm like cool you know so it was it was a whole new world for me it was the biggest band I'd ever worked for 
biggest crew. I mean, at that time, it was a crew of like 45 people or something. Yeah, we had quite a few people. It wow. Was, it was, was like, that Mechanical Bull? That was during Mechanical Bull, yeah. So I was playing with Jesse Balin during Mechanical Bull. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, that, small world. The, the small world. Because yeah. I remember we were trying to juggle our what Jesse was trying to do at that time with Nathan's schedule because mm-hmm. Mechanical Bull was coming out. So. Right. Um, I think at one point, I, I don't remember what band it was. We had some band shirt on, like some punk rock band. I don't remember what it was. See, this is the this is the juicy stuff I was trying to get to. <laughs> yeah. Something. I don't. What was he wearing the day that you knew you'd be best friends? <laughs> definitely in shorts. Wes, Wes do, you, shorts. do you remember a connection point with Ethan? Uh, I do. I remember the first day you got there. Yeah, I, I do remember that. No specifics at all. Right. But just I remember it. Um, I really don't know. I think just talking about music, mm-hmm. you know, finding out that you were into like punk because I had gotten into punk rock much later in my life. Yeah. So we we did know a lot of the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I I knew a lot of the bands. Right. When you the, talk about how the the camp was welcoming, because I've never been a I've I've toured and opened for big artists like mm-hmm. that and been welcomed into their crew, but usually just as the direct support guy. Sure. Like with Zach Brown, we were living on their buses and stuff. And then Wes, I want to see if there's a parallel for this when you went into the Metallica camp. You say it's welcoming and stuff. Is there a sense of like, well, we're getting a new, we're getting these five new guys today. Is there kind of a sense of like, we got to get them up to speed. We got to make sure they're cool. Or at that level, is the vetting process such that you don't have to worry about those types of things? Uh, I mean, I, I think anybody who gets into, you know, a band of Kings of Leon, Metallica caliber, right. they probably know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to worry about it that much, but it's just like, is this guy going to be cool? Is he going to be a douche? You know, yeah. you never well, know. <laughs> as, as we all know, and we all tour, I mean, the hang is half the job. Yeah. Probably you know? even more. Maybe more. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's guys that aren't that good at techs or that good at players, but they're, they're easy such, to travel with. Yeah. Easy to travel I, with. I have zero talent whatsoever. So I'm just a really nice guy. guy. I've seen your 4-H crocheting, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you right there, Wes. <laughs> so you joined Kings in 2010. I mean, what's what's your deal, Wes? How did you get into this side of the this side of it? Uh, I started touring in two thousand nine. Uh, basically, I'd been I've been doing pyro. I've I've been doing pyro since ninety seven, I think. And uh, somehow, just when I was working construction at the time, uh, hot, very hot in Florida, <laughs> doing construction. Uh, but it was right when the uh, housing market crashed, mm-hmm. and there was kind of no more construction going on it's just right every really, house is being foreclosed and yeah it was a really bad time for anybody trying to work in florida yeah so that anywhere. hit florida pretty yeah. hard yeah so i had been doing pyro with a company out of chicago and they had a lot of tours and they they had offered me tours for many years and it was just like nah it's not the right time you know i've got a wife kids i don't want to be gone uh but at that point it was like well this is money i gotta do it mm-hmm. so i went out on that tour so i was gone for about three months what was that first tour Coldplay. So I did Coldplay. That was your very first okay, tour. Okay, I'm going to germ out for a minute. Yeah, Coldplay Stadiums in Europe was my very first tour. Okay. I'd never, wow. I'd never left the country. And this was 2009? 2009. So this would have been Viva La Vida. Si. Damn. See, <laughs> <laughs> si. si, senor. So quick, Wes. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you both, and I'm sorry to all of our listeners. <laughs> no, do it. Go. But I would like to camp out here for a second, Wes, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, are you hip to Coldplay at all? I love Coldplay, yeah. So Viva La Vida is their fourth record, mm-hmm. produced by Brian Eno. I absolutely loved it. It's where they started to get real colorful. Yeah, a lot of colors. Uh, yeah. ba, 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 ba. And they had that big song called Lost. Yeah. You'll get lost. One of my favorite Coldplay songs. Mm-hmm. So obviously Coldplay, massive stadiums, and you're doing pyro for them? I was doing pyro, yeah. 
What was that like? I mean, a lot of pyro, not a lot of pyro? Um, it was, for me, it was a lot of pyro every day because yeah. I was the only pyro guy. There were four of us on our crew, but we had one laser guy, two uh, confetti guys, because there was a lot of confetti on that show, <laughs> right. and then me as the pyro guy. And we all helped each other, but sure. I was the pyro guy. So, And when you're on stadiums, you know, you're know, you up either on the roof of the stadium or behind the stadium or in a Guess parking lot. Guess what goes really well with fire, by the way? Confetti. Confetti. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all, it's all treated. It's good. Um, so when I started, I was, again, I'd never toured before, so I had no idea about buses i didn't you know i was just i'm going into a completely Can't go number blind. two on the bus right <laughs> you know just yeah he shit on the bus for the first week he was out yeah it was fine wow so they didn't figure out it okay me. so let me try to understand this what were you doing for this chicago-based pyro company before you toured uh i would do like just one-offs corporate like, stuff like events, uh, yeah uh, they had at the time they had a bunch of uh like professional football teams NFL okay football teams so i was doing the jacksonville jaguars for them for years okay um and it just, like I said, it just, it happened to so Coldplay, work out that... Coldplay contracted them, I guess. Yes. They needed some touring cats. Yeah. So your, fir- your first to dipping the toe in the water was Coldplay Stadiums. In Europe. That's wow. crazy. I didn't know that. That is that is a scene. I'm learning things about Wes. This yeah. is amazing. How is it that I know more about Wes than you right now? <laughs> I, haven't been, I haven't been paying attention, so you have to fill me in later. Wow. So, okay. So that's that's a sink or swim, jump in the fire type sitch. Yep. Uh, did you have a sense of, like, I'm in over my head? Did you like it? Did you feel like, ah, it's not... Is, it, is there a sense where, and I wonder if this ties in Metallica too, is there a sense where the idea of it's a little more overwhelming seeming than when you're actually doing the work and it's just sort of normal? Uh, once I got into it, um, I had a great crew that was with me, and the Coldplay crew are amazing people, just like Kingsley on Metallica. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I still have great friends from that tour from you know ten years ago. Uh, so mm-hmm. they're very welcoming, very helped me out with everything. Uh, I, of course, going into it felt like I was in over my head because I'm like, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's kind of appropriate feeling. <laughs> in the, you know, in what's the touring a set, what's side a set of it, list? you know. It, you know, just that kind of stuff. But the the pyro part of it, I knew because I've been doing that for over. 10 so you were years. confident in that part of what that, you were going to be asked. to my do. My actual job that I needed to do, right. I was confident. But the rest of it was just yeah. complete unknown. And in flying over there, I got sick, and during rehearsals for this tour, I found out I had walking pneumonia. So mm. that's how I started oh, my touring career. Wow! <laughs> With walking pneumonia for the first walking week and pneumonia. Half. See. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why he keeps saying. We walked that pneumonia <laughs> straight into a stadium, straight, into, right. Wim- straight into Wembley. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the one thing uh, I was going <clears> to <throat> add to when you get hired on to something that, that's of this size, and you have your specialty that you're hired for, when it comes time to actually do that job, the rest of the show kind of disappears in a way. Like you're not concerned with what the bass player is doing or, or how well the band's playing. You're looking at a set list, and here's your cues, and here's what you have to do. Same thing with you know swapping out guitars for the player or doing pyro cues. It's almost like you're you're not your job isn't to to understand the grand scheme of the whole show. You have one thing to do, and so it, it's so like to your point, I guess you don't necessarily have to have the experience of you know having toured for so long because your 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 skill set is only in in one thing. Right. But all the extra stuff, you know, it's like. Yeah. I mean, like all those Cater things you just room? mentioned, I couldn't see the stage half the time. Right. I was either on top of the stadium or behind it, so yeah. I'm just listening to my, my back going. Yeah, totally. My well, this is crazy with those big gigs, the production elements. My friends that play in Taylor's band play Taylor Swift. They play behind a thing mm-hmm. that only opens up a few times. Right. So my friend Matt 
is playing drums in a stadium in Japan, <laughs> watching the band leader on a little monitor. Yeah. And then he said, occasionally the the set carts open, and he's like, "Oh, there's eighty thousand people," and then <laughs> oh, it closes there they go. again. <laughs> yeah. Let alone some of the crew in that. So let me ask you this, Wes, about pyro stuff. When you get a gig like that, has someone in the Chicago like office coordinated with Coldplay's production managers, and they've already mapped out what the pyro is? You you just learn it almost like a blueprint and just execute. Somewhat, uh, like the the guy who designed the show came out with me, got me started. You know, he okay. stayed with me for the first four or five shows probably cool um just so because i mean i i knew coldplay but i didn't know all their music you know mm-hmm. so just learning the music learning the cues uh i'm not a designer in any way i can you know i can shoot but i'm not i don't like designing that's that's for people much more creative than me <laughs> yeah you know so he was a designer uh we went over the music just got all the everything tight and then you know once i was comfortable then he left you know so it was in, in that aspect, they're very involved in all that. They're very involved with the creative people from all the tours. You know, they're it's it's a lot more involved than me, where you, I just walk mean, in uh, and go. You mean Coldplay themselves, or you mean like the product, whoever designed the pyro? Uh, Coldplay themselves are very involved in their their show. I mean, that's there's a lot of artists out there who are very involved with their shows, and yeah. there's some that aren't. Yeah. What um, did they play the same set every night? So it was just once you learned it. Were there any audibles or weird things you had to look out for? Uh, with them, not so much. I mean, they, they would change things up here and there, but our the songs that we shot for were the same every night. Mm-hmm. So okay. that that part I didn't have to worry. You just about had to too look much. at a set list and I'd look at a set yeah. list, see where that song's going to be. Yeah. So. so how do you get from Coldplay to Kings? Uh, let's see, from Coldplay, I from went Coldplay to... to Kings through the portal. <laughs> That's how he got there. <laughs> Uh, from Coldplay, I went to Guns N' Roses. Did that oh, for that's right? You did Guns. Okay, yeah. okay, well, okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, well, hang on. This, this is this is Guns and some other dudes behind yeah, Axel. It, it was it was Rose and other guys. I saw that tour. Was that 2012? Uh, it was 2010. Right oh. before I started with Kings. Okay, gotcha. I gotcha. Did that. gotcha. Um, it was just one run over in Europe. Okay. Um, then Kings did that for. Well, been still doing that. Uh, but was that did, all through the same Chicago? The same company. So that's, Chicago, a, that's yeah. a dope company. Sounds like to work yeah. for. If you're yeah. into pyro, they'll keep you working. And yeah. you were and you were still doing pyro. I think when I showed up, by thirteen, uh, were you still? We because I would come over and like jokingly like I'm going to push the red button. Yeah, we we did <laughs> add pyro in. Uh, yeah, we did have pyro at that point. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when I first started, there was pyro. I mean, and we had like the uh, the it's called waterfall. The waterfall. Yeah. The spark waterfall. Can you? Yeah. So I was still I was doing pyro and. Yeah, set carpet. Can you guys explain the spark waterfall so, for people like me that don't know what the hell you're talking about? Well, Wes can better than I can because he did pyro. Uh, it's it's basically a fountain of sparks uh-huh. that look like a waterfall, but it's just sparkly and pretty. And it sounds beautiful. It sounds, it's me- very it sounds beautiful. positively mesmerizing. There's a bunch of, a bunch of things. What are they called? Chibs or something? No, gerbs. 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 They're all they're all like mounted up in the in the lighting truss, and then yeah, it's, it's a certain cue. It, the a waterfall is a, a gerb somewhat. A gerb has a lot more force. It's mm-hmm. got a it projects out more because yeah, a gerb is made. To, mm. yeah. I really <laughs> just like hearing you guys say gerb. I know. <laughs> you guys I love, to say gerb. More. I like saying the word gerb. <laughs> yeah, uh, gerb has a nozzle in it that pushes the sparks up from the <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> from the from the ground up. Oh, where no, a waterfall doesn't have as much projection. Right. Yeah. It, it just kind of falls, falls. out. Basically. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when uh, I, th- I actually. I, I guarantee you the first day I, uh, with Kings, I would, you probably talked to me at one point about 
that hey we have pyro on stage yeah where i was what was that on stage i wasn't off to the side of the stage like most of the techs usually are you i was right behind i was yeah. right behind chris behind this big rack of pedals yeah like on a drum throne basically a rack of under pedals. under like, the like waterfall a, like like a, if you're using a switching system like a Oh, used like to be Bradshaw, gotcha. the RJM or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So he had he had two a, and a, a big effects rack. Yeah, a big a main and a backup. So I would I was so I'm on stage with the band but hiding, and I'm so there's the the gerbs, <laughs> waterfall, the waterfall, uh, <laughs> and then there was also this like red smoke smoke that would come and just engulf me. Yeah, like before the band walked on stage, I'm the only one up there just getting engulfed in this stuff. But there was nights where like the, the those waterfall would start going and it's like and I'm I'm putting my hands over my head it's hitting me and I'm like fuck ouch ow 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 and there's certain nights where like it's a little further away and then there's there gerbs there's one night where I was like this is two feet away from me I'm just gonna exit stage right <laughs> so literally like in the middle of sex on fire I just stand up and walk off stage yeah so like who's that tall guy yeah no, I didn't give a shit. On I fire. Like, like, this stuff stings. <laughs> so how do you... What's the transition like from doing pyro to doing teleprompter? Is that... Why did you get shuffled? Uh, so the guy who was doing that job for Kings uh, is also Bruce Springsteen's guy. So when Springsteen went back out on tour, mm-hmm. we hung out a lot. And he was like, hey, I'm going back with Bruce. Would you like to try this? And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I don't have anything else going on right now. So sure, why not? And... That was how I got into teleprompter. And that's basically kind of like setting you up for what would come to fruition with Metallica. Yeah. Because you would have obviously had the experience on a big band doing big gigs. I th- I don't. I think some people don't realize how big Kings was and are. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they definitely have a, a even bigger following in, in Europe and the UK. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, we would do multiple nights at like O2 and something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's a couple stadium shows yeah. when I was around. But yeah, I mean, no, Kings are... Massive band. You know it's a mean? good. It's good to have on the resume. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And of sure. course, Coldplay and Guns. Even doing one tour with Guns mm-hmm. is going to appeal to whoever's looking at resumes for a band like Metallica. Right. So, okay. Fast forward to. I remember hearing about you from Ethan because you guys are best friends. Best mm-hmm. friends. It really didn't take long, honestly, for us to to get close and and you know we're we're close, so close. to the same, so close, <laughs> close to the same age. But there 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 was like this tight knit. A smaller group of us on the crew that always hung out, um, and especially in, as part of the core crew. And by that I mean, uh, if the band's doing a TV thing, you know, you, you'll Fallon, go do that. Yeah, the core crew goes to that, and that might be about fourteen or fifteen people. Yeah, you know, all the other thirty something aren't aren't at that. Like the main backline techs are definitely part. Yeah, of Yeah, main backline right? techs. West doing teleprompter. He's got to be there. You right. know, um, the girl that did hospitality and dressing room stuff, and Artemis mm-hmm. Venetia had to be there. Which is why you went to the Chris Cornell gig. Correct. You were you are part of the core crew, uh, for Meta- yeah. I would say I'd probably part of the core crew because you do James's teleprompter. I mean, yeah. word, word wedge, word Sorry, wedge. sorry. God damn it! I'm gonna get this right, boys. <laughs> sorry, James, if you're listening. I remember um, you. You have to tell me the exact details, but I do remember Ethan telling me my friend Wes from Kings just got or may may get the Metallica gig. Yeah. Which to us, as I'm sure you can imagine, and I'm sure it's boring to you, is really exciting to us. Oh, I was geek out. Because one Rest, of us, you one, say you have to say yes. One of our friends might go work for Metallica. It's so crazy. So tell us about getting that gig and how that came to be. Uh, so when Kings ended their last album cycle, which um, by the way, Walls, I love that record. Yeah, yeah that was not awesome. a big Kings fan. My wife, it's her favorite band. Yeah, that that record is awesome. We yeah. had, we ended that in November, almost two years ago. Yeah, November it was in of Mexico 17, City. Yeah. Um, I went from there, I went home for like a day and then, uh, went to dead and company 
mm. which Dan, my friend who got me the job with Kings, was doing Dead and Company, and again was leaving to go to Bruce. Was Mayor out there for that? Yes, Damn. that was already when Mayor came out. You've done some cool stuff, Wes. That's what isn't that what Dead and Company is, right? Is him? De- well, it's like Bob Weir. That's Bob Weir. Uh, is John like a main fixture now? Billy, yeah, of Dead I mean, and Co. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. You let me tell you something. Those of you out there who did doubt John Mayer, first of all, you don't know what you're talking about because he's an amazing songwriter. He's always been an amazing songwriter, one of the dopest guitar players ever. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know it by the songs he puts out, know this: he's Jerry Garcia in Dead and Co., which is no joke on yeah. the guitar. Yeah. That is a right. that is a a rule book of how to be a badass guitar player, and he yeah. he's great at it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I really I knew John had some like pop hits and i just yeah thought oh he's just pop guy it's like sure. he's in dead and coming whatever that's deep i'm not shit. a huge dead fan i'm not so, really either so when i got out there i was like john Mayer, whatever and then he started playing guitar and i was like whoa whoa dude's no joke <laughs> wow uh, and then four hours later when the solo <laughs> right ends. four hours when that solo <laughs> when the ended, first song is yeah uh so yeah i got on a dead and company was doing that um the front of house guy from dead and company owns a sound company that does their uh, sound and Metallica mm. sound. So, what's that company called? Uh, Ultrasound. Where are they based? Uh, San Francisco. So, what Wes is talking about it, is it basically like a production company? Uh, it's a sound company. Just I mean, sound. It, it's just, just audio, audio company. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a band like Metallica or Dead and Co is going to say, "Hey, we're doing stadiums, and then we're going to go do arenas, and we're also going to go to Europe and do arenas." This is a company that basically has the gear and the infrastructure right well metallica has bought all their audio oh they own all their they own all their smart um and then ultrasound just provides manpower support yeah yeah um they staff it yeah so derek is the guy's name uh knew that the guy doing my job before me was leaving Mm -hmm. and on dead and company he was like hey do you mind if i pass your info on i'm like yeah i got nothing after this sure why not at the same time one of the other guys from dead and company is like hey you'd be great on Bon Jovi with me. I was like, yeah, sure. Great. So basically I was waiting for both of them to call or mm. either of them to call. Right. And right. Metallica actually called about 15 minutes before the guy from Bon Jovi. Oh, wow. So this could have been, you would have never had me If on we had a show. Bon Jovi podcast, you'd be on it right <laughs> now. Hey man, I'd be, t- I, I would, I'll talk about Bon Jovi too. Shit. <laughs> Come on. Living on a prayer. Um, we'll talk about some deep cuts. Written by one Mr. Desmond Child. Yeah. Who, who I am now a best friend who with. Who Clint belittled in person. <laughs> So that, so that was a 15 minute, that was a combo where it was that quick. It hey, was that quick would, that would, it could have been, I mean, it was, it, it was over time, but I mean, mm-hmm. those, those calls came in 15 minutes away from each other. And those kind of calls, sometimes if, if they're, it's a last minute thing or they really needed somebody, those calls will start and end very fast. Yeah. My call to, to go out in, te- in tech with Kings, I was on the phone with our old uh, tour manager, or production manager, the guy named Mark, for eight minutes maybe it was like are you available yeah can you leave tomorrow sure all right cool we'll send you the flight info later it was that's like the the it's one of the benefits of like getting older in the industry and like getting some years under your belt is that if the right people are putting your name in the hat for a certain type Mm -hmm. of gig doesn't matter how big it is just the fact that you've been recommended gets you through a lot of other hurdles of the process Mm -hmm. and then i guess it really is just about well, give me get a feel for you on the phone and see if you're available. It's right, really yeah. more like, uh, can you get on a plane? Yeah. yeah. So, what was your first day of working for Metallica? Uh, first show was Lisbon, so flew to Lisbon. Uh, so that would knowing. be the European European Arena tour. European Arena tour, correct? Okay. Um, 
again, I, the tuning room part of it, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. It was just like, hey, you've got a couple things to plug in. But you knew that going in. You were doing tuning room and I knew I was Word doing tuning room and work yeah. yeah. Is but, that what the other guy was doing too? He was yeah. doing both of those jobs? Yeah. And he was San Francisco based, so he was he was with them all the time. So anything they did in the studio, he was there. Anything he did, he was always warehouse, there. Yeah, he was always there. What was he available for you to talk to before? Like, oh, you can he talk to... interviewed me. Yeah, he's oh. the one. He's the one who called me and asked me. So he's you know, leaving on good terms, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, he 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 said I got the job because I had done teleprompter, so I was a little more ahead of everyone else who was just like a backline guy. Right. Right. Cause I have zero musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> I don't, I'd, I'd never changed a guitar string before I, I started when, working for Metallica. I remember right before, like right when you found out you were, you were doing the gig, you had texted me that you got it and you're like, and Wes texted me like, I might be texting you like just a lot. some yeah. advice or <laughs> okay. some help. <laughs> okay. So let me clear, clarify something. Cause I don't even think I know this. I know our listeners probably don't. This means that in the tuning room, you're doing guitar tech duties. Yeah, because you because you're I, I'm the backline tech in the tuning. Room. You set all the gear up. Uh, me and another guy right. set all the gear up, and then we there's the uh, record guy who's in there as well. So yeah. there's three of us in the tuning room. And I met those dudes yeah. in Nashville. They seemed much yeah. like you, and much like everyone we've talked to them. Talking very yeah. cool and very chill. One guy was like playing like a Game Boy thing. Who was yeah. what was that guy's name? <laughs> Cisco. Cisco. Yeah, Cisco. yeah. Cisco. <laughs> That's right. Um, so. The first day is Lisbon, and you're in the tuning room, and you're, yeah. you're you're learning how to set it all up. Yep, I'm. I mean, I'm sitting with the guy I replaced, and you know, we're we're kind of going over everything. So there's an overlap. Of, yeah, of you yeah. Guys. He okay. came he came to Lisbon, got me set up, cool. so I was ready to go. Stayed for the first show, and then he right. left, and we moved on to the other show. So after one show, do you feel like you kind of had it? No, God, no. Really? <laughs> no. How long Not before, the tuning room part? How long of it. before you felt comfortable with that? Honestly. Um. Really, only in the past few months has it gotten a little more comfortable. Wow. I mean, honestly, the stadiums got a lot easier for me. Why? Uh, just because there's more time. Okay. Because gotcha. there was a load-in day and a show day. Right. For every stadium show. you know, Because they had an A and a B rig. Uh, no, with one ring. Oh, one ring. It's just, yeah. it's just one such ring. a huge setup for it's, a stadium. That you, oh, it yeah. takes a day. Gotcha. It takes a day. Like yeah. when, when we did uh, stadium shows for Kings, I mean, there was always a load-in day. You yeah. Know, and, where um, arenas, you don't always get a load in day, which means it's just it's everything's packed into one day. So th- that's very stressful for me gotcha. because it's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So having two days to set up is much easier. Well, so walk us through what it's like to set up the tuning room. What's your? You, I'm sure you have like a a flow. Uh, I do, and honestly, Cisco is he's the one who sets most of that up because okay. I'm kind of running back and forth doing everything else. Um, he he does most of the wiring, most of the drum kit set up um I'm, i change strings i tune guitars occasionally you know mm-hmm. um but he's he does the main work in the tuning room i'm passing the guitars you know during tuning room when the band is there i'm we're all there but you know i'm the one kind of doing more of that running the word wedge uh how often do you change the strings for the tuning room i try to change every few shows like at least twice during a leg because the leg is six to eight shows yeah so about every four because they're not in there that long right so it's not like you know chad and justin and right, yeah. zach who need to change every show because they've used that guitar several yeah. times yeah you know they use only one guitar in there most of the time unless they switch for something that's tuned different so is there like a, a vault or a boat yeah. meaning of case that holds several guitars yeah. it's just tuning room and it's those same... just tuning room guitars other than 
Kirk's guitars. Kirk brings his own guitars in and out. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And then if there's another switch, you know, it's something I have to go get from Justin. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And do they let you know in advance what they're going to be working on? Sort of. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of an educated guess. So we just, we have a few things in there like, they might do this, you know? Right. <laughs> but you probably have, like, you don't know, say James's guitars, for instance, you probably have x amount of guitars that are in different tunings to kind of yeah. cover whatever they would play james were pretty much covered in the tuning room yeah uh robert were pretty much covered in the tuning room i'd have to grab one uh kirk anything that anything else they're going to do i need to go grab from the other guy okay. i wonder why that is why do you think that is or is he expounded is it because he likes to play his show guitars i have no idea yeah Interesting. i'd imagine that would be the case like some 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 guitar players or musicians in general are maybe particular like that where it's yeah. like hey i want to be playing the guitar that I'm starting the show with or whatever, you know? Well, it's interesting. I don't think they've been up uploading the videos of the tuning room in a minute. I think the European there are arena some up tour there, might have been the last one. There, there's, there are a few up there, but it's it, they, they used to do them a lot more. It seemed like what it would be is they would usually do whatever the rotating slot tunes were of mm-hmm. the evening. And then whatever, like, needed... If there was something that happened at a show, like, let's tighten up this thing... And then it seemed like they usually ended with hardwired because they would go play hardwired first. Is that correct? Or am yeah, I that's kind of a, seeing a, a pattern that's not there? That, that's a pattern. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they usually will do hardwired right before they go out. That's just to kind of get pumped up. and Right. Um, yeah. My favorite thing about the tuning room is always the banter. Oh, yeah. Because for us, which by the way, Wes, are you a Metallica fan or were you before? Are you sort of impartial or? Uh, I mean, I was, I was a Metallica fan and like right my going into high school is when the black album came out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, inner Sandman, all those songs that came mm-hmm. from that, they kind of got me into Metallica a little bit. Um, and then from there I went backwards. Yeah. Uh, didn't really do much after that right. necessarily, but then you met me, but then I met, I met <laughs> Ethan and he forced Metallica on me, uh, every day. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. But not like a, a huge fan, just, you're not going to start a podcast? I'm not going to start a podcast. <laughs> Which is almost, it almost seems to me like is a requirement to get into that inner circle because how can you really be in there and do a great job if you're geeked out yeah. over dumb shit? Yeah, I, I, I think it depends. Well, I guess, you know, when I got into the King's Camp, like I knew who they were. I knew the hits, but I didn't own any of their records. Which I think probably makes you more set up to do a better job. You know what I mean? I think there's that, but at the same time, it was like, I don't know how these songs go, like, which I didn't really need to know. I just I had notes on a set list. So it's yeah. like, oh, they're playing the song Milk. It, Chris is playing this. So I hand off this guitar on this But that's song. just stuff you, I mean, like, I didn't know any Rodney Atkins songs when right. I had the gig. You, you do your job and learn it. Right. And I don't look at Rodney like a big country star, which he is. I look at him like a, my boss and we yeah, work together. That, that's how you have to kind of do that with, <clears throat> with really, I mean, most artists of, of most levels. Yeah, you can't walk in being like, oh my God, I'm playing for this. You know, like even when I graduated from tech to being the utility guy for Kings Leon, it was insanely exciting. And I was very geeked out, not necessarily because it was them, but just because no, I'm. No, that just was a, a great opportunity for you. Exactly. And, and uh, but he, at that point, I, I was very familiar with their catalog because I had been doing it for two years at that point as a tech. So the excitement was there, but you're still, it's still business. You're still doing a job, you know? And so you have to kind of like, Hey, be cool. You know, back to that time, uh, when Ethan took over, I would know how to play guitar now. Had it not been for Ethan oh my taking gosh. over for Kings Leon. So, I was giving Wes guitar lessons on that tour. Yeah. Oh, like, that's cool. I think yeah. I got two. 
and then he started playing for the band, and then he didn't have time for me anymore. Oh my anymore. gosh! See, this Wes, is an ongoing. Wes might not be doing Word Witch for Metallica. He might be the other guitar player for Coldplay now. Right. If but you had no. no, if you had no, and pardon me for using such strong language, let him down. Yeah. And let the team down. I too. love how quickly you got Clint on your side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse to just poke fun at you is, hey, I'm is, down. A, is a joy for me because you, you know, know it comes from love. I got thick skin, man. Where I was going with all that was my favorite thing about the tuning room, because there were certain tours, I'm, I'm going to probably get the details wrong and I don't want to get emailed about it, but there, I, I believe it was the tour you hopped on, the European Arena Tour, where we were getting the tuning room every day or mm-hmm. every gig. Yeah. We were getting that 40-minute slice of... What it seems like to me, and maybe you can corroborate this, maybe you can't, it seemed to me like the tuning room is the first time of the day, generally, that the four dudes see each other. Would that be accurate? I don't think so. Okay. I th- yeah, I think they see each other before that. They all have breakfast together and stuff. <laughs> they all like slide down the fire pole together like the Beatles and help. <laughs> it, okay, because here's, here's one thing I also notice: Lars is always like putting on socks. He comes in and gets, I mean, yeah, he gets ready. And put socks on. Yeah. And she has drumming shoes. Well, it's like, I guess he goes for runs a lot and stuff. But the thing is, isn't the tuning room, doesn't it butt up right against the show? I uh, feel like it used to be like tuning room. Because here's why I say this. And I think this may have been before you came on. In the St. Louis gig where I was in the snake pit, they were in the tuning room, but it started to rain outside at the gig. Mm-hmm. And they had to build this thing for Lars. But it was the first time they'd ever used it. Yeah. So it was slow going. Because it's a really weird looking white, you know what it's I'm like talking a, about, Wes? Yeah, like it's a cl- like a, it's a shell thing. Yeah. Yes, but yeah. it was the first time they'd ever done it. I mean, I'm sure they. It was basically that gig where they cracked the code, right? And uh, like Jimmy was out. I could. This is the first time I saw like Mike Gillies was out there, and when I watched the tuning room from that gig, they're getting updates in the tuning room, like, oh, they're still. It's still raining. Oh, they haven't built the thing yet. Yeah, and James is even going, oh, they haven't even built the thing yet. So it seemed like. They were in the tuning room until downbeat almost. Yeah, pretty much. So that, that, I that mean, is... they go straight from tuning room to show. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like warm up time. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes you know, like when I was touring as a drummer, you know, it's like twenty minutes before the set. You know, I'm out back by the trailer by the bus, like with practice sticks that are heavier, just like warming up my wrists, and so same kind of idea. But you're doing it as a band. The banter to me always just seems so interesting because it seems like it's that you get in a room with your buddies for the first time. You're sort mm-hmm. of like getting loose and Kirk will literally have one of his assistants like rolling his sleeves up <laughs> which always got a, fucking, got a kick out of have you ever seen that what I'm talking about oh yeah okay um, my, it's like my sort of a life goal of mine and no matter what industry I <laughs> end up in rolling assistant? to just have an assistant roll my sleeves up I just want to have a massage in the middle of the show that's all is that too much to ask I have watched Kirk Hammett one of my favorite guitar players of all time take a pee break mm-hmm. in the middle of an arena right in front of me Oh, yeah. And everyone just came and stood in front of him like the president. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember I was sitting, I was next to Sarah. This was in Birmingham. We saw it in Birmingham together, yeah. And and Sarah's like, just wait. Like, later he gets a full-on massage, like, on a gurney thing. I was like, no fucking way. Like, right in front of all the fans. It's so funny. Well, well th- this dude, Metallica team is tight, man, because the team came up and we're like, no pictures. And, like, 
everyone, first of all, Metallica fans are pretty respectful. So everyone was kind of cool. Yeah. I'm not about to take a picture of Kirk doing that, but I was fat. I, you can't get in my mind and keep me from being fascinated by that. I was totally fascinated by I it. I was like, wow, this is weird. Uh, it would have been great if it was Wes giving the massage. But, <laughs> dude, that would be so. Or if Wes is already on the gurney, like face down, and Kirk gets a massage on Wes. On Wes, yeah. <laughs> Kirk should give me a massage. Ooh, there you go. How long is the average tuning room? Is it is it forty minutes? Uh, I think it's set for thirty minutes, mm-hmm. but it's you know whenever they're comfortable, whenever they've worked mm-hmm. everything out they need to work out, right. whenever they've you know because they might add a song they haven't done in a while, right. so you know they'll they'll run that through. Um, and they have little little word wedges like iPad type word yeah. wedges, right? And you're kind of in charge of flying yeah. in mm-hmm. whatever they're working on. Do they tell you, or do you just listen for cues? Of, I'm just listening for them, for someone to or, mention it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, that's I mean, it was similar in, in Kings too, where yeah. like they'd be rehearsing at the, the studio they have here in Nashville, and uh, you know, one of the guys, Caleb, whatever, be like, hey, let's try whatever song, and like, yeah. and, and I don't know if it's similar with Metallica, but on the computer of the studio for Kings, for instance, there's a whole master list of all the songs with all the lyrics. Is that yeah. like that with you? Yeah, you're I just have, drawing I have from a, a master. I have a catalog, yeah, that I'm that I'm working from. Was there ever a time where they were wanting to jam on a tune and you like were struggling to kind of figure out what it was or find it? Almost everyone. And they're kind of like, what's yeah. up, tuning <laughs> room guy? Yeah, because I don't, like, again, I know some of the older stuff, but I'm not musically inclined. So I know the you're song they're singing. You're outlaw tour and you're like, what is this And song? I'm like, I'm singing it in my head trying to get to the chorus to know what the song is and waiting for yeah. someone to tell me what's going on. Right. You know, have, have you ever had the horrible moment of they're all looking at you waiting for you? Uh, the Chris Cornell gig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Chris Cornell gig. Uh, because should we, talk, should I was we talk about that? Oh, we can. I mean, they, they've they talked about it. it's no big deal. So. Yeah. I, I well, let's set this up. So, okay. Chris Cornell gig, the tribute. Chris Cornell passes away. His wife, Vicky, puts together the show filled with, like, every rock star ever, except yeah. for... Eddie Vedder. Is, isn't it weird that Eddie Vedder wasn't there? That's I weird. Have... That's weird to me. Because Matt Cameron was there. Yeah. Stone Gosser was there. Uh why wasn't it anyway? That's for another. Yeah. That's for another. Uh, that's for another night with Wes because yeah. Wes knows why Eddie wasn't. There. Wes is looking <laughs> I don't at us like I don't know. So, but the thing is, you guys were already in the middle of your own trajectory, and this gig got ha- thrown in. It was in L.A., and you kind of had to. I remember you telling us you had like sort of a rough travel to yeah, make we were, it there. Yeah, we had to go there, do rehearsals, do the show, and then we went right into the next leg of our. Uh, arena run okay in the u.s um that show because it wasn't our show right and it was on a rotating stage so everything had to normally we just leave all our stuff on the downstage edge you know much easier because you're headlining it because we're headlining it right that's not our show right so was it a turntable stage or turntable stage yeah which are real fun yeah yeah so turntable turns so what's so tell, tell me this um What's going on with gear for that? So all your gear are in trucks, and you have a system, mm-hmm. but you got to go do this one-off where you play four songs at the forum. Was yep. it at the forum? Yep. Yeah, the forum. Or Staples? Okay, it was the forum. Mm-hmm. What's what's the gear sitch for that? Uh, that was, I think it was our norm. Yeah, it was it was all the backline was the normal backline that we always use. Just the trucks because, just went to L.A. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that'll happen a lot where it was like a random one-off where it's like, hey. Audio, lighting, all this is getting packed up like normal, going to the next city. All right, backline, we're sending this stuff to San Francisco or LA or whatever. Yeah. So that's cool. So you had your own stuff. Yeah. Um, where were the rehearsals? Where, the, where were those held? Uh, somewhere in LA. Like, a, like an SIR or something. Yeah. So that's a full load in with full backline? 
for yep. those rehearsals. Mm-hmm. So then you do the you rehearse the two tunes, or they did four. They did bells and uh, puppets, puppets maybe. I don't, I don't remember. Way to go, Wes. We're we're, we're yeah. all looking at you now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then of course they did Hit Injury and one other old old school Soundgarden tune. Right. So then you load out the rehearsal. Then you got to load in show day. Yep. So you're loading into the forum. What's load in like when you're? It's not your gig, as you say. And there's Soundgarden. There's Audio Slave. Brandy Carlisle's mm-hmm. there. She was there. Yeah. I mean, a million people were there. What's yep. that kind of load in like? Oh, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's it's organized chaos. Is all mm-hmm. it is. You know, it's just everybody. There's a system because. They do this a lot, you know. They it's an award show type of setup, right? Okay. Um, I was about to compare it to because because yeah, yeah. you is someone a Papa Bear interfacing with everyone's tour manager? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's I, I'm, there's a production manager for that show, and right, um, it, or it's or it's similar to like a like maybe iHeart Radio Festival or something yeah. where it's just like band after band after band, you know. Yeah. So you have your designated time, but of course it might be running late, and then you're you got your guy that's sort of advocating for your band, and mm-hmm. then your band in this gig happens to be fucking Metallica. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like you're like, no, it's cool, like whatever Soundgarden wants to do. It's like, hey, they're buddies of ours, but your tour manager doesn't care about that. Your tour right. manager's got to get your job done. Yeah. So you're dealing with all those types of politics and shit yeah. at that day. Yeah. So for that show, we did our tuning room, stage spins, they set up our stuff, boom, everything's there. I'm having a problem with, uh, for those shows, Lars will have his own, um, his own, uh, word wedge for mm-hmm. notes and things of, and I couldn't get it to work. I just, you know, having bad problems with the, uh, where is it? If you're, if you're, if he's sitting at his kit, where is it? Uh, it's just down like under his to hat, the left, basically under yeah, the high hat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't get it working. Finally get it working. Look out. None of my board wedges are, work, are on. They're not mm-hmm. even plugged in. So, because I'm in tuning room, there was nobody else to do it. So, I'm out there. Jack Black's out stalling. So, what we saw, what we saw in the broadcast is Metallica's supposed to come out. Yeah. Jack Black is stalling. And then James walks out and they do one. Yeah. They start, yeah, goofing around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I remember because, you because they're I were, waiting on me. You and I were texting. <laughs> I think you and I were texting about that. And I was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And Wes was like, that was actually me. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so, explain. So, man, how did it how did it come together? What finally happened? I ran out there, plugged everything oh, in. Okay, you had to just plug it all yeah, in. Yeah, just yeah, it was just. Well, I, so I, I couldn't I, be I, in enough places at once, basically. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think. Wow. I think. Uh, uh, yeah, a big reason for it is like because the tuning room goes up to showtime. There's and and then with those turntable stages, while a band is playing facing the crowd, you're basically directly behind them, setting up, getting ready. And the cables aren't plugged in, is that right? Yeah, and you and you do like a, a you do a, a tap through, not an actual line check. You can't make this. noise. Yeah, you're doing that, so the the audio guys can see signal. Um, but because Wes is in the tuner room, no one was out there to plug in the word wedge stuff. Um, but I love that you made Jack Black stall. That's a accomplishment. Well, you created kind of a I'm Metallica of moment where Jack Black and James, you know, yeah, Wes. work together and sing the song one that we all. If you heard. watch it. When Jack Black comes out, I almost knock him down because I didn't know he was coming out. And I just <laughs> run across, run into the drum kit, um, and then almost trip over him a few times because I'm running back and forth so many I times. Watch, I gotta rewatch this. Yeah. So was, when, when something like that happens, where it's just like, shit happens, it's 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 chaos, as you called it, controlled chaos. Yeah. Go ahead and hit it, that. Hit it, Wes. Yeah. <laughs> He's waiting for that right moment to tap the Rockies. I want the next one to be in the mic. We'll have uh, a lot of reverb to it. What, you know, after that kind of thing, are. It, you know, do you get a talking to or people bummed or is it like, well, shit happens? I mean, what was that? What's the night like that for you uh, when that it happens? Was, I mean, 
luckily our our production manager was there. He saw what was going on. He understood. It was fine. Right. Uh, Lars called me out on the next show in the tuning room about that. I don't know if it was. I don't watch <laughs> like the jo- videos or jovially anything. or. Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, did you feel like he was like bummed, or was it kind of he just te- kind of? Te- I think he was kind of te- knocking. Me, yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Oh, that jokester Lars. <laughs> Man, that 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 is one of those shows. Just from a fan's perspective, that I was really excited to watch some stuff online because obviously we're both huge Soundgarden fans. I'd been texting our mutual friend Steve Dramowski, who was mm-hmm. Soundgarden's production manager for a long time, now with Kings as well, and Neil Young and stuff. But he, you know, I was like, give me some, give me some tidbits, like you know, what are the surviving members going to perform and blah blah blah. And so he was kind of giving me some little, you know, behind the scenes things before. Oh, I happened. didn't know you so had that access. It was nothing crazy. It was just like. Because because nobody no one of the public really knew what they were going to do, so I was like, "Are they just going to kind of do some Soundgarden songs with like different singers?" He's like, "You kind of nailed it." I yeah. I do confess that I have tapped West for some of that info. <laughs> I have occasionally texted West and been like, "I think I texted you West about do you know what they're doing for S and M two? Yeah, and as normal, I'm like, I have no yeah, idea yeah. because it's it, it, we honestly yeah. go in like uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, I want to hear what a normal day is like for you, but first, since we're mentioning SNM2, let's talk about SNM2. Yeah, I think we should. So you're saying you're sort of just recently kind of gotten super comfy with tuning room stuff. By the way, you being more comfortable with it, meaning what? You know the songs better? You know the guitar changes better? Uh, some, I mean, we, honestly, we don't have too many guitar changes in the tuning room, just mm-hmm. because it's it's a tight space. It's, you know, so what they, makes they it more get comfortable? In and out. Uh, I've just gotten more comfortable with them, you know? Yeah. But I, you know they're obviously they're you know they're pretty big rock stars you know yeah, i've, I've heard, heard yeah. of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but you know i've gotten a lot more comfortable i've gotten more comfortable joking a little bit with them you know right. just being a little more human with because I, I i go into every uh every tour that i do as these are my bosses and i never right. forget that you know i'm not trying to be friends i'm not mm-hmm. it's just i know my professional place. yeah yeah very professional sure um, but you're saying that's maybe loosened up a little bit, and you, maybe a little bit. You know, yeah. that's I, I feel a little more comfortable around them. It's when not you're so, in that close contact with yeah. with with your bosses, uh, it's you know, and it, it's so repetitive too. I mean, it's like every single show, it's the same scenario. It's you know, it, you're bound to naturally become a little closer to to somebody, you know, even though they're still your boss. Yeah, you know, I think it's just bound to happen. Yeah, and you're not trying to force it at all. It's just it's just what goes down. Exactly. Well, what about that environment? Um, what what might not someone know that you know from doing that about their their vibe as a unit, their sense of humor? What's an interesting thing about how you can get more comfortable with them that we might not know? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good answer. I don't yeah, know what you I don't, don't know. know. James farts, farts a lot in the mind. Yeah, does that mean like uh, you 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 kind of give it back to him? You maybe like uh, you you kind of uh, not so much. I mean, I. I I do try and stay very professional, but yeah. you know I I will joke around here and there, like mm-hmm. when we're not in tuning room. Are we talking knock knock jokes or? Knock- <laughs> uh, hey Wes, James, uh, Wes has them all. Hey James, yeah. check this out. Knock knock, bro. <laughs> Who's there? I got all the dad jokes. <laughs> well, you would fit in quite perfectly with James. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen? And we don't have to get into details. I'm just curious. Have you ever seen the boys have tent? Because I've seen tuning rooms where Lars and James are kind of tense. Yeah. And it's an interesting dynamic because what uh, what it looks like to me is Lars generally being a little more playful, but mm-hmm. James being a little more serious. Right. And then James kind of being Jamesy, and then sort of realizing he's being Jamesy and kind of mellowing out a little bit, right. and trying to have a little bit more fun. 
Is that if you witness dynamics like that evolve? I'm usually just waiting for them to say what song they're playing next. That's okay. all I want to know. He has definitely signed an NDA. <laughs> right. That's NDA talk. <laughs> That's NDA talk. I, or... ju- I just want to know what, what the next song is. Here, right. here's, here's less of a minefield question. <laughs> Another thing that it seems like, I remember when the boys debuted Spit Out the Bone in London. Mm-hmm. I think it was night one or two of London in the arenas. Were you already on the run no. then? So this is before Lisbon. Leading up to that, because I religiously watched the tuning rooms like a fucking nerd, like a guy who might do a Metallica podcast. Right. <laughs> Hello. Hi, it's me. Hello. They were cooking up Spit Out the Bone, and it was pretty rough. You know, yeah. it, was, it was almost as if they really never planned on playing it live. Yeah. Because it's, it's a deep cut, and I think they thought they're, the four songs they had cooked up for Hardwired were already working. And it was really Rob who was being like, let's play Spit Out the Bone. Mm-hmm. And you would just, I watched it over months, like get tighter and tighter. And then they debuted it, and now they play Spit at almost every show. My question, Wes, is it seemed like Rob was almost like the guy in the room saying, the excited guy saying, let's try this, let's do this, let's make this great. Whereas you would think that might be Lars or James. It seemed like Rob was injecting a lot of enthusiasm for trying things. Is that an accurate depiction? Uh, probably. I mean, Rob is, he's an amazing artist and just very excited. I mean, he, he loves music. He loves everything about it. He's mm-hmm. the first one there every day in the tuning room, practicing, just getting warmed up, getting himself ready, you know, practicing the duets that they do. Right. You know, he's just, he loves music, loves everything about it. Super cool guy to talk to about music. I mean, mm-hmm. just knows so Very much. knowledgeable. Yeah, about, extremely yeah, knowledgeable. Cool. I mean, I, I, I've, I think I've kind of gotten that vibe from him for a long time. He's a very deep cat when it comes to like just his wealth of knowledge with music, different genres, instruments, whatever. It's it, it's very inspiring. Do Rob and Kirk work up the doodles in the tuning room? Yeah. yeah so they, they, they come are, in early, or I mean, they'll, do they stay? they'll work on it beforehand, like in their hotel. Right. Uh, Rob has been working on them for months. You know, he, he knows where they're going. He looks at the tour. He plays. Is he them kind out. of in charge of them? Like. Hey, you pick the songs we're doing for each city. And it, seems, it seems like he might be kind of the one who puts it all together. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Wow. That's I didn't a, know that. It's a fun little perk. So they so they decide, he plans it out. They may be working on them together. He probably tells Kirky Kirk, hey, on this leg of 10 shows, mm-hmm. these are the 10 songs you need to know. But then they do come in the tuning room at some point and kind of get it under their fingers. And every Yeah, every show they'll come in, work it out a few times in the tuning room before before the whole band is in there. Right. Before Lars puts his socks on. Yes. Right. <laughs> So, so okay, so they go on to their gig. They're going to go out and be rock stars and play whatever stadium or arena. Yep. What's the breakdown process like for the tuning room? I have no idea because so I'm out. split. I split. That's what Cisco does. Cisco loads out the whole tuning room by himself. That's why He's I, doing I mean, that he's, while the show's going on. So that yeah. tuning room's probably gone by Atlas Rise, like by the second or third, 15, 20 minutes. Oh, no. He's, no longer. It, yeah. He's, he's probably packing up the recording stuff, too, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's a studio in there. It's yeah. a whole studio. It's, That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's, it, it and seems, let's not forget how many flags are up, too. That must yeah. take a while to tear down. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. It does, it does kind of seem like a little pop-up room, yeah. but it actually is a it's really... It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, Kings of Leon had a tuning room, but it was very basic. It was like a kick drum, a snare, and one cymbal, and like little practice amps and a couple of guitars. Yeah. It, I, I I packed that up but that's, in 10 minutes. But that's true. This is like a multi-recorded... Yeah. And that's the deal, too. Is like So we talked to... What's the dude's name who records them? Who took Mike Gillis's place? Jason. Jason? Yeah. So he was able to talk to Paul and I for a few minutes. And you know they record, they record multi-track of all that stuff. Yeah. Because when you listen to the tuning room, it's mixed. Mm-hmm. Which is just amazing that Metallica even... They mix their tuning room stuff. Well, because it's going on the internet forever. Right, that yeah. makes sense to me. And when you hear them talking in between songs, you're hearing like an open mic somewhere. But 
he I remember asking him about like sometimes these tuning rooms come online, sometimes they don't. He was like, dude, we're just super busy because they also mix every show. Because mm-hmm. if you buy a ticket, you get the audio and then you can buy any yeah. show, right? Yep. So every single show. That's, that's crazy that a lot of that happens in that room. Right. I wonder if also too maybe the band decides like, hey, that was really cool in the tuning room today that we ran this. I haven't played it in a while. Let's throw that up online or something. But I mean, I imagine everything obviously has to have their stamp. Well, of I've approval. seen them. I've seen them before, like in the tuning room, like look at wherever one of the cameras is and be like, well, this is. This is being broadcast out there. Yeah. Ha ha. Weird. Yeah. Like, it's that kind of candid stuff that I like the most about the tuning room. Mm-hmm. Is like James drinking out of his weird little copper, looks like a Moscow mule, although of course it can't be that. It's like right. tea or something. That's what and, he, uh, it's how he, he uh, pans for gold. He uses that. Kirk's usually sitting, shredding, but without the volume on, and an assistant is rolling his sleeves up. <laughs> right. So that's my <laughs> mental image of Kirk and the tuning room. And Rob's always standing up, looking excited. And Lars yeah. is usually putting socks on, saying, "What do you want to do to James?" And James saying, "I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wiss is laughing as if that's accurate. We're just dis- he was describing his day. <laughs> so, so tuning room ends. The boys are starting the show, and you bounce. And I've seen your world. Your yep. world in the arena gigs isn't near the stage. It's sort of no, in the hallways. The yeah, we're so, we're usually out on a loading dock or in a hallway somewhere because it's in the round. Right. There's nowhere for. I'm out by monitor world. So where are you in the the stadium shows? Stadium shows were behind uh, stage left. Can you ever do you? I'm trying to remember what you showed us. You have like a little monitor of it. You can see the stage through a monitor. The monitor guys have, uh, we have a camera on, on each of the mic positions. Right. And then we have an overhead camera so we can kind of see where they are because the monitor guys need to know which monitors they're turning on. Right. Yeah. Who, you know, because there's two monitor guys. So it's a, it's a little hectic, you know. So what Wes is saying is, if you happen to be on a rail near a certain position, and say Rob comes over there, they all have wedges, actual wedges, audio wedges in front of them. You're going to hear more bass if Rob is near you. Correct? Mm-hmm. So someone's watching at all times and pumping volume, wherever that is. But you said you also have the cameras on them that you can see their face in case they need something in their yeah, monitors. If they, if they need to give you, you know, a cue, the, this up, that down, whatever, you know. Yeah, that's a common thing a lot of musicians do. I'm sure you do it too with your guy. But, you know, a lot of times when you're holding your guitar and you, you kind of just, like, tilt the guitar upwards, it means you want more guitar. I always have to, like, point to my mouth and up. Yeah. Or, yeah, hold the guitar up I and point to my up. butt and down. <laughs> Tighten up my butt. More Less low end. More Pilates. That's what I say to my <laughs> monitor engineer. Pilates. He always loves that. Crank the Pilates. And then you have your world where you're just following the set list and you're you're manually toggling through, right? Correct. The, the word wedge prompts. Mm-hmm. Correct. Nice so, combination. <laughs> so, so you should know all the lyrics now, at least for their current set. Uh, I look at them every night. You would think that I know them, yeah. but I don't. But a In lot, but a lot of them are just are just cues. Yeah, you it's know, just, it's like, a word. I know, yeah. like with certain artists you've worked for, it's a scrolling situation yeah. where it's like every other artist I've done is a scrolling situation. Yeah. So you know, you you're in it. You know, you're you're paying mm-hmm. attention the whole time. Where this one, you just you it's know, frames, right? Might, you just toggle yeah, it's a frame. Just a frame. Yeah. So it might like the one uh, sanitarium is two words, you know. So it's one frame for the whole song. Page, yeah. Wow, it's pretty funny. He showed me that one. It's it's, it's yeah. interesting. His, to see. his welcome to, I think it just says welcome, welcome, Bill. welcome. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it's just two words some, on a big screen. Sometimes I mean, sometimes that's the case. Like I mean, even with my own music, I remember when I did my my uh, album release show at the Cobra. For some reason, there was this one verse, one of my songs, where I, like, during rehearsal, I was like, why am I blanking on that? 
So I literally just wrote it down on like a napkin and just put it on my pedal board. It was, and it was just like the first word. Dude, I, but just because I am a culture vulture and a music junkie my whole life and playing guitar, I know a million songs. But uh, because I know so much and I'm getting older, I can't remember any of it. But if you can just tell me the first line, <laughs> I the, got it. Then you're off and running, yeah. Not only that, I can do the whole thing. Yeah, totally. I just need that. So it totally makes sense to me. Yeah. And then especially a band like Metallica, they're, playing, they're performing in front of tens and tens of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. The stakes are just high every night. Yeah. You know, and so come on, man. My stakes were high at the Cobra when I played. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the stakes aren't high for you. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, I I do know what you're saying. You know a guy. I mean, you could have had me come. That's true. I have run uh, prompter for Steve, so that's very true. This this is actually a fun little story. I'll I'll, I'll quickly tell. Tell it slowly. So (laughs) it was a cold December weekend. Mm. So uh, this guy Steve Dramowski, who was our our production manager, the guy who worked with Neil Young and Soundgarden. He's also a musician and has a bunch of cool gear and sings and stuff. And so he was doing putting on this show up in um, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee? Milwaukee, the good land. <laughs> is that a sheriff business? So uh, this is after the album, Al- King's album cycle. Because I remember we were in Mexico City when he asked me, he's like, hey, would you want to come up and play guitar for this thing? It'll be like some originals, some covers. It's just a fun thing to do. Like, I'll fly you up there, put you in a hotel, pay for your food. I'm like, that sounds like a blast. Let's do it. Let's have some fun. So the day I fly up there, I'm texting with Wes, and I was like, I know that this motherfucker over here has got a lot of miles. I was like, Wes, you should totally come up and just hang out. I couldn't, though, because I was on Dead and Company at the right. time. And then didn't John Mayer get something? John Mayer had an appendicitis, That's so right. our last three shows got canceled. So. And then Wes texts me and goes, I'm flying up. Oh, nice. <laughs> Flies to Milwaukee, and and I think you jokingly texted me, like, I'm going to run teleprompter for Steve. <laughs> I thought he was kidding. Wes shows up, and I was like, why don't you just crash in my hotel room? We shared a bed. No big deal. Um, so, sorry, there's a problem with my room. It has two beds in it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we can't push them together. Can we switch rooms? Uh, so Wes shows up, and he's got a screen and like a little rig to run teleprompter for yeah, Steve awesome. at this little club That's my show. favorite gig. It was so much fun. That's amazing, dude. That's, that's Wes's commitment for you right there. This is a dedicated guy. What's funny, uh, those listening can't actually see this. Clinton and I both have word wedges in front of us right now, and Wes is <laughs> we planned the whole, we planned the whole this dialogue is all scripted, and Wes is scrolling through right now. Oh wait, go fuck yourself, San Diego. What does it feel like? A lot of pressure. I mean, do you feel pressure when you're doing this gig and you're basically doing the show in real time with James? Uh, not really. I I probably should, but um, I mean, there's. There's always that fear of something's going to go wrong. Sure. But yeah. um, it's a lot less stressful than trying to shoot pyro next to somebody. So and blowing your fucking thumb off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, so in that aspect, it's, it's not as scary. Sure. Necessarily yeah. as like pyro. Do you think, do you think the, the, the word wedge position would be a little bit more stressful if you were actually scrolling the whole show? Uh, or is it little... Yeah. Like a King show is a little more right. stressful, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, there's, there's always this something going to go wrong is there cable going to go bad is you know yeah well i guess with with this metallica setup with you being way far away from the stage if one of those screens goes out are you the one yep. running sometimes i can there's there's other guys down there i can call and say hey you know can you check screen seven whatever right. okay. okay i do feel like i have either at little rock or in birmingham i like saw you in the show i was like oh there's wes yep Hi. Yeah. If yeah. You, if a screen goes bad, you'll usually see me run out there and try and do something. Right. If it's a song that I can actually get out there and do it. Yeah. Do you have a redundant rig? 
yeah, I like had two. I had two two systems running at one time. Yeah. So that means if one goes out, there's one always yeah. running that's got to back up. Most cool. most big gigs have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at gigs like that, I mean, there's like a backup for everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's there's a backup for the backup. There's a backup for everything. <laughs> there's two Wes's on him. It's crazy. He's got a, they cloned him in a portal. That's one of the requirements when you, when you work for Metallica. They, they have to clone you. you. Yeah. Before you get the job, you have to send your DNA in. <laughs> be cloned you have to sign an nda and you have to send in your dna, DNA. <laughs> exactly jesus christ this is a comedy podcast now here's what i'd like to do let's take a break and listen to some metallica okay and then let's talk about snm2 before we say goodbye to wes okay. let's get some deets on this historic performance that went over so well and uh hear about the song choices and what you had to do to set that up and yeah let's do it everyone feel good about that join us through the portal of metallica that's gonna let it ride kind of dumb joking about by the way everyone enjoy hearing inner sandman just now uh yeah i loved it always my favorite song but let, let, let's talk about the enigma of this and wes i'd like to get your opinion i'd like to open this up to the panel i'd like to open this up real quick is everyone going to tap the rockies real quick <laughs> you good wes I, I yeah i'm good metallica's most famous song right we can all agree on that there's no song more famous than inner sandman for right. metallica right Yet, by deep cut, deep cat fans like us, the most ignored song. We've never played Inner Sandman on the show. Yeah. We rarely talk about it. I think the only time we may have played it was when we were playing a clip from like an award show where they were playing it live or something. Right. But it's never been an intro song. But it's song. almost like a, a hazard that we had to deal with it. <clears throat> yeah. How about the fact that we just played Inner Sandman? We saved it for Wes. I'll tell you what, if that song is ever on the radio or happens to come on, I don't skip it. I don't, I don't ever turn it on. Yeah. But if it's on, it's like... It's like um, TLC, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it comes on, you're not you're singing, singing along in the car. That's right. I'm just saying, I'm not like jonesing for it, but if right. it's on, I'm not turning. In fact, I'm turning it up. Another song that would fit that bill is uh, Billie Jean, Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not like going home and playing Billie Jean. That would feel odd to me. Sure. But when it comes on, I'm like, God damn, this is the good. The only time I will purposefully play Inner Sandman is if. Uh, I'm going through my vinyl trying to pick some. You know, I'm, I'm listening to the Black Album. I don't have the Black Album on vinyl. Oh, really? I don't. Isn't I'm, that weird? I'm only missing three essentials. And? Yes, and? Death Magnetic. <laughs> load. And... Uh, I'm literally and, offended that you don't have I'm this. offended you don't have the Black Album. Well... Touche. That's a good point. <laughs> Wes, briefly, what are you what, what are you listening to? What's what's the stuff that's exciting you musically? Uh, Right now, I'm... I'm Jason Isbell. Uh, mm. I'm into a lot of like uh, Billy Strings. Um, I'm getting a little bluegrassy. Uh, cool. Yeah, probably not anything that anyone that listens to this is really. You'd be surprised. About, I love Jason Isbell. Yeah, Jason Isbell. He's amazing. Great, yeah. yeah. 
he is he is one of the greatest contemporary songwriters we have right mm-hmm. now. Agreed, yeah. absolutely. And a witty cat on Twitter. He's a fun guy. He's to super funny. He's yeah. a fucking awesome dude. Yeah. yeah, wife and I went and saw him a couple of years ago, and it was amazing because your buddy Mike, Dude, Michael, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. absolutely a great show. Oh, what yeah. do you think of Lunar Satan? Who Lunar Satan? I haven't. <laughs> Would you run the word wedge for Lunar Satan? Absolutely. Um, I would would need it (laughs) to remember all my (laughs) satanic poetry. So let's talk about S&M. So for you, Wes, Mm -hmm. first of all, I'm going to ask every Metallica insider this that I know of, but I also kind of know the answer. When did you learn about S&M 2? When did you get the email from your production manager or whomever might send this that says, hey, in September, we're doing these two big historic 20th anniversary orchestra shows? Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. You saw you it. Heard it you heard it here, folks. Yeah. It's crazy. We we hear about it the same time you do. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, how does that work in terms of you guys are off right now? S and M two happened, little break. You're about to get on a plane to go to Australia, right? Yep. When 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 are you going to Australia? Uh we leave early October. Okay, cool. So you got some time. Yeah. So what happens? So does your Chicago company or does the production manager of Kings call you and say, hey, are you available for these shows? How do you uh, ne- negotiate and navigate time off and get picking up other work? Uh, I usually, when I know I'm going to have time off, I'll just start kind of emailing people. Putting hey, feelers out. Yeah, just put out feelers. Hey, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm available this time if you got anything going on. And then obviously without divulging any details, are you on some sort of salary or retainer with the Metallica Corporation? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're, you're contracted to a certain time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which you didn't realize was going to be South America at a certain point. Cause I know uh, that got added. Th- yeah. That just recently got added. Yeah. And all within my hands. Again, I found out the right. other day on it. Cause Instagram, we thought, like I mean, as you know, hosts of this podcast and fans, we kind of figured like, okay, after Australia, I think that might be the end of the album cycle. Well, cause it's been three years. Right. And then all of a sudden, oh, South America in, was that March? I think. Something like that? March or April, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. So, like a, a decent break in there. So, you'll probably yeah. go, maybe go out and find some other work and stuff. I think you need to take a load off and just chill. I probably will chill for a little you, bit. You've, yeah. you've been touring heavy for a long, as long as I've known you. Yeah. Did you take the Kings thing in this little window because. Well, tell us why you did that. I mean, there's the, of course, the argument of like, well, money's nice and you got a family, yeah. or you like to work. Or it's a crew that you are close with and you like those dudes. And I mean, it's a little bit of all that. I mean, the Kings guys, because I've been with them for ten years, almost 10 years now, I mean, it's, right. it's they're brothers, you know, That's it's a family. You, mm-hmm. you both understand it's a course, family, yeah. you know, so... Well, I, I was I raised can... by no. Well, I was raised in a cave by by <laughs> jumping crickets and spiders and wolves. So, I've read a lot about family in John Steinbeck novels. Explains but, a lot. Yeah. Uh, no, so cool. So, anytime I can hang out with those guys, you know, right. I, I want to, and it's, of course, it's a paycheck. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, that that camaraderie camaraderie side of things is really important, though. It's yeah. I, and having worked in the same camp, I understand it. You know, there's some great great people in that camp. What and about it, the psychology, however, okay. of Road dogs like us, I mean, I had to learn it the hard way in my previous marriage and in my current marriage. Um, there's a sense to where if I'm home too long, it's not good for anybody. Uh, because we're my, my family dynamic is so used to me coming and going that if I'm home for too long, I get stir crazy, my wife gets stir crazy. It's almost like I need to get on the road because I, I, I've just adjusted to living there. Do yeah. you think you have some of that, Wes? 
Uh, I, I probably developed it. it uh, I started touring very late. I was 32, I think, when I started touring. Right. My kids were already 9 and 11. You know, I'd, I'd been there for all of the You've growing seen up that to all. that point. Yeah. yeah, They get a little older and they yeah, got their so own lives. and It was, it was you know, much later in my life when I started touring. So right. um, that Do you part get of like the blues when you get home? Uh, the tour blues? No, not really. Sometimes. I mean, I guess so, you know, because you're, you're used to being with this family, mm-hmm. you know, because it is yeah. two families. You right. Know, you, it's true. You have your Absolutely. family at home, which is the most important family. And then you have your other, your, your road family. Which is yeah. a family. These are the people you yeah. live with. You oh, literally live yeah. with. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, plus. there's not many people in your life that, that you'll spend eight weeks straight with. Yeah. Right. You know, where you see them every single day. And let's talk about this too. I mean, a bus is, I used to dream of being on a bus. I mean, to me, when I, I, I paid my dues for so many years, a decade almost in vans. Mm-hmm. Making it to the bus is so important and so awesome, but there is a sense where it's a really tiny space and yeah. there's a lot of people up there and you can find a lot of things to complain about right. real quick I mean, on a bus. I, I started on a bus, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this motherfucker went from <laughs> this motherfucker went from Florida to Coldplay Stadium. I know. What's uh, okay? Look, just quick, because this is the kind of question I would ask. What's the bus sitch for you in Metallica? How many buses are there? Which bus are you on? Who's on your bus with you? Uh, we're kind of the, the Island of Misfit Toys bus. Uh, we've got a bunch of different departments on our bus. I think we have eight buses, nine buses and stadiums. Okay. Um, cause the band's flying private, so they're not involved with buses, right? Or do they have yeah, buses? They, they, they kind of base out of somewhere and then just fly to the shows. Right. Yeah. Um, they call it their hub. Yeah. In, in, in the, the biz. Hub. In the biz. In the biz, we call it a hub. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've got some production some you know the whole tuning room well most of the tuning room uh the media guys you know mm-hmm. so where is cisco people. in relation to your bunk cisco is behind me down i think what are you middle uh european buses it's two so okay yeah, it is yeah. yeah and they're longer which is awesome yeah. well I've, u.s buses i want i've actually toured on a bus yeah. in europe too so they're you just double, have to leave me out of that double decker i was talking about america because that's oh. where we live oh in america uh, i think he's a bottom still behind me but i'm i'm usually a top okay top. Top. i'm a new guy so new guy goes oh. top. that's true that yeah, is true do. Yeah. because that's yeah. the worst one yeah, yeah it is the, the top is one. the worst yeah especially for an old fat guy like me it's, it's the, <laughs> the worst Dude, I, I used to be middle. I used to think middle was where it was at. It's obviously the prime real estate. Yep. I, I, in my seniority, I'm the band leader in my gig. I moved down to the bottom. I'm a, I've, I've always been a bottom bunk guy. Yeah, I don't I, like I don't like the noise from the bottom. I'm a, I'm a middle guy. It is guy. noisier, and it is. There's yeah. more. You feel more, but yeah. that puts me to sleep. The top, though, I feel like you feel everything. Every little turn and anything. The the first time I was ever on a bus in my life, I was in the top because I was a new guy. It was like in 2000, 2001. You guys realize we're talking about gay sex right now. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, why do you think Wes was, Wes was saying... You said S&M. What are we behind, talking about? Behind and on, and on the bottom. Um, but I remember waking up the first time I was ever on a bus. If it's like a bumpy ride. I just woke up because I'd never slept on a bus before. And the way I was aimed sleeping, I woke up in a panic. Like, where am I? Put my hands out in every direction, but behind me where the curtain was. So I'm trapped, and it freaked me the hell out. And then finally, I reach for the curtain, I rip it open. I'm like, just like sweating. I'm like, oh my god, okay, I'm fine. It's it was the weirdest thing. Now I sleep better on a bus than I do at home. Well, because we've all done it half yeah. the time yeah. now. 
Yeah. I like if, like normally my wife will fall asleep with the TV on and not, then I'll set the timer and I, I like noise when I go to bed because of a bus. Mm-hmm. If I go to bed and the TV's already off, it takes me so much longer to fall asleep because it's just too quiet. Hmm. I'm not used to that engine sound, you know, <sighs> or disrespectful people on your bus <laughs> up till four in the morning, you know, slamming doors and stuff. I I have gotten very grumpy about any of that. If anyone's making noise in the bunk, I'm the guy pulling the curtain going, hey. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, that's totally me. Yeah. We had a bus driver recently who it doesn't matter where he was. I'm on the bottom. He's kind of category to me. He was taking phone calls in his bunk because uh, we had a co-driver, and then the while, so while we're rolling, someone's sleeping. And I'm like, "Hey, man!" I'm like, <laughs> on his on his <laughs> take that to the fucking lounge. Yeah, bro. yeah. That's not going to happen. No, that's here. that's one of the one thing that when you when you get into a camp where everyone understands that the bunk area is, is that's quiet time. Yeah, it's sacred. If you're on the phone. In the front lounge, and you want to finish the call in the back lounge, you tell the person on the phone, hang on a second. Yeah. You open the door respectfully, close it respectfully, do the same in the back, and then you take your phone call. And this has been Bus Etiquette with Wes, <laughs> Ethan, and Clint. Now, let's talk about S&M, too. So, what we know, we now know that you didn't know any sooner than we did about the gig. What's different for you on a gig like that? Obviously, it's a big deal. Were you aware of the first S&M record in 99? Uh, somewhat, yeah. Okay, I'd, so kind of. Kind of. So were you given any kind of like unique instructions for what those days were going to be like? Were you at the rehearsals? Were you... Walk so, us through uh, some of this. A little bit. Uh, so we finished in Europe, flew mm-hmm. home. I was home for 17 hours and then flew to San Francisco for prep rehearsals for s and So uh, rather than just go straight to San Francisco, was it like, I want to go home and see my family, see my kids? We already had the tickets. I mean, the tickets oh, okay. were already bought to go home. So you just go home. And wow. Then, you yeah. have to tell and your I wife, wanted, by the way, by I'm, the way, honey, I'll be home I'll at 3 way, p.m., yeah. leave at 6 a.m. the next day. Basically, yeah. Uh, and I want, you know, you want to go home, you can see your family, yeah. do some laundry. They're okay. You yeah. Know. <laughs> Sit on your own toilet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's my favorite thing. Oh my <laughs> I mean, I'm not even kidding. Absolutely that is one of my favorite things. things. Yeah. Especially sure. when you come home from Europe and sometimes <laughs> the toilets are real small. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best. I love <laughs> big American toilets. Big American toilets. Uh, so yeah, it's true. Uh, so oh, home for 17 hours, flew to San Francisco, uh, prep gear next day, rehearsals and HQ. And that's when Scott came in and did, uh, so you were there when Scott went in. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cause Scott did mention that there was like, everyone was around. He specifically mentioned Zach and Chad. Mm-hmm. And then I think were Cliff and Peter there or was it, I know it was the three, the non James members of Metallica, which is the weirdest sentence I've ever said. Right. <laughs> the non James members of Metallica. Can you name them? So all? everyone but James. <laughs> I don't think so. Who all was there? I mean, what was going on that day? Uh, it was, we were basically getting ready for rehearsals. You know, they, they, okay. were, they rehearsed there the next day, I believe. Okay. Um, the next day, we were doing rehearsal, production rehearsals, and. Uh, another location with the orchestra with with the or- uh they were just getting ready for the orchestra yeah. yeah um at the same time there was a hurricane coming towards florida oh right so you're worried about home so and- i'm worried about home so yeah. for the band rehearsal cisco ended up going and doing my job uh i got the production rehearsals ready to go and then i flew home on a red eye that night got my house ready for the hurricane which thank goodness Past us, no yeah, problems. Right. Wes also, a little side note, Wes's house in Florida is like the safe house for his family. Yeah. Like other relatives, he's got like the, the custom shutters that go over his windows for like, you know, like windproof and all whatever, yeah. the generator, everything. So like his 
family well, that lived down there all come to his. What's house. going on with that? Are you like one of these? Are you, are you like a survivalist? Uh, no, no. We just we just have a concrete block house, and you just prepare for that. Other people have a wood house. So. Yeah. Uh, it just comes down to the raw materials. Yeah. <laughs> it comes down to construction. This is construction. Back well, I find that I find that really awesome and kind of real world stuff. Like even during that kind of big gig that we've all romanticized, there's some real world shit going on where you live. You got to take care of your job, mm-hmm. batten the hatches, and get home and take care of your family. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did when, that with Kings with Walls at, at the Ascend Theater. I, yep. I flew home because Hurricane Matthew was coming. Yeah. You know, and I remember it was that, the yeah. same thing. And you know that were that was their first night playing the album all the way through. Yeah. Yep. My wife and I were actually at that gig too. Yep. Yeah. Oddly, that's right. You might believe I go to lots of Kings of Leon gigs, but. <laughs> um, Clint was texting me nonstop during that show while I'm like in, in tuning guitars. Yeah. Well, he's the only guy I knew there. Yeah. Like I didn't. None of my. It was awesome. Like my wife's. It's my wife, of course. But like, you know, I'm not really a big Kings fan, and I don't know yeah. many people. So I'm just like hitting Ethan up. If you'd have been there, I'd have been fucking texting your ass too. <laughs> That's true. Um, I didn't have power. I didn't have any internet, so I couldn't have. Couldn't so have you get back. back to the S and M rehearsals. Yeah. So I fly back. Uh, now we're already in Chase Center. Uh, what's the what's the general are people do people seem nervous do people seem kind of casual do people feel ready for it what's the vibe uh i mean i think everybody mentally was ready for it but it was just it was a big undertaking there was a lot going on yeah it was a it was a big production that we'd never done before Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't just we didn't just take our production and put it in the arena and do that it was a full brand new production brand new gear brand new everything because all of most of our gear is on a boat on its way to Australia already. Whoa, I didn't even think about that. So you mean, when you say brand new gear, you mean, what do you mean? All the video elements, all the lighting elements, all the audio elements, It's all of that is fresh gear that yeah. just came in that you've got to, you know, get ready, prep, get, you know, put it in the air, yeah. get it done in time for the first show. You know? Right. So what you're saying is if you're a huge Metallica fan and also a pirate... Right. right now is the time to to go it rob a boat. It might be. Interesting. You hear that? I wonder how many pirates listen to the to the show. They probably do. I didn't even think about that. That is so fascinating. So you're having to run it all, fly it all, yep. test it all, anticipate what might go wrong. So yeah, that's high stress for sure. Yeah. So I mean the like the video director, lighting director, uh, you know, those guys were full on the entire time with uh, all of the all the production stuff they had to do to get ready for that. They're they're probably staying up super late, like programming yeah. all night. It's probably stuff. no sleep. Yeah. yeah. Um. What did you interface at all with Greg Fiddleman? I know he's running around because he he would end up. Of course, he's. I think he's probably even still getting the film and the audio ready for October 9th. Yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, they just went home the other day because they were getting all that ready for the the release. Yeah. Right crazy yeah it, it, it's a, it's a much more massive undertaking than maybe it, it seems I'm sure if you watch clips online or you went to the show you could see this amazing setup but all that that goes into it and or especially knowing that all that stuff was like new gear yeah. was it the first gig you've done with metallica that you knew was being filmed for like an album release or like a dvd release because there's that whole know, yeah. there's that element too of like You've got whoever they hired to direct it and and block it and run the cameras. That's completely separate than what you guys have to do mm-hmm. to just do a show. Yeah. So you're interfacing with a video crew and mm-hmm. that's different than the a different video crew, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because Metallica, as we all know, videos and documents everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. Is that a little bit annoying for you? Uh, 
not annoying in a not, bad way, but like you, you got to deal with a camera crew up your ass all the time. Uh, it, it's not annoying for me. Because um, we joked before we started rolling that you may have seen Wes in some of these. He's the guy giving the finger. <laughs> <laughs> there was a montage video after one of the cities, and Wes had texted me, and, and it was on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. He's like, hey, I, I finally made the montage video. And I, yeah, I, I, because I don't by, want to be in the montage It went by video. quick. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, I was like, wait, was that Wes? And I went back, and all of a sudden, I see like him carrying like a, a green floor tom with his middle finger in the air. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to be in the video. Right. So I would always flick off the camera when yeah. it comes in. I love those guys. I just don't but want them But you realize that that's very metal of you. It was very metal. So of they're going to yeah. put So they're going to feature it. <laughs> yeah. And now, Wes Fisk. Yeah. <laughs> are you tight with the other divisions of the crew? Do you guys, are you guys all friends? Do you hang out? Uh, yeah. I mean, I. What's the social, knows. I, what's the I, social I, situation? I kind of hang out with everybody. I don't have right. like a, I only hang out with these guys, you know, you, some crews can kind of be like that. You've got cliques mm-hmm. like in high school. Uh, I, I, I'm good with everybody. You float. You're a floater. Yeah, I'm a floater yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's how we became friends. You yeah. Know, neither of us were, 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 you know, stuck to our departments, yeah. you know, two islands in the stream. <laughs> well, and I think too, you, it's not necessarily like, you know, I, I want to hang out with everybody or just hang with your clique. It's just, I just want to hang out with good people. Yeah. If there's, cause there's always people on a crew that are fucking assholes. Yeah. And you realize that pretty quickly. And you're That's like, Ethan. well, exactly. Hey, leave Chad out of it. <laughs> yeah. Chad's cool. Stop talking about Chad like that. Wes. <laughs> Chad's awesome. Um, but Chad you know, is so cool, man. But you, you know, you, you just, you want to hang out with good people. Cause it's like, look, you're away from your friends and your family and, and what you know at home. You've got to have good people around you on the road to, to yeah. spend time with and sometimes get deep with. It's and crucial. Crucial. Yeah. So, you know, when there is that asshole on the crew that, you know, maybe is in the pyro department or the audio department that's only in their hired from the audio. Why did you audio... say pyro department? What's that? Why did you say pyro department? Are we I talking about Matt some... Thomas? <laughs> I didn't Sorry, want to Matt. say his name. We're not talking about Matt. We're Everyone, about Everyone's Matt. met Matt through via the show. He's a sweetie. Matt's, Matt's the best. Second best. Sorry, Wes. You're first, you're first best. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, there was people who names I can't even remember that were on the King's crew. It's like, here's the, the audio, whatever guy who yeah. was hired by the eighth day sound mm-hmm. and he's fucking annoying every single day. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to hang out with that kind of person. Yeah. So that's why I stick with, you know, people I'm tight with. So when you know this show's coming up and that they're pulling out some curveballs cause it's a unique show, yeah. I'm thinking mostly about all within my hands. Mm hmm. Maybe confusion, which you guys have done. And there was like a little rotating confusion dream, no more slot. Mm-hmm. But then also Outlaw Torn, Unforgiven 3. Are you do, are you just looking at a master list? Is that kind of business as usual? Or is that a unique thing for you as word wedge guy expert looking out for James? They're playing songs they don't normally play. Uh, for these shows, uh, for S&M, it wasn't too bad. For All Within My Hands, there were a lot more notes because there were different arrangements of songs. So, so that's going to change what you do. So who, yeah. okay, that leads me to this. When you're going through the uh, the frames, mm-hmm. who makes those? Are you in charge of making those? Most of them already existed. If there's a note that needs to be added, then I would already I would add that. So know? when they did Bleeding Me, for example, which is a super rare treat now now nowadays, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, that that was already in the bank. The that whole was, yeah, that was already there. And Disposable Heroes was already in the bank. Yeah. What about the weird covers they did, like When a Blind Man Cries, already the, in the bank? Those were already there, yeah. Damn. They, I think most of those they had already done. I'm guessing that if it's been recorded by Metallica, it's probably in the master. Yeah. Who makes those, though? Who would, who would be in charge of... If anything new were to come along, I would... I would you would be, be the, the guy that made them. It. Yeah. So, okay. So if they made a new record tomorrow, you would integrate all those songs into the Word Wedge 
yeah. Pantheon. Yeah. Cool. Okay. My next question, are they making a new record tomorrow? Are you tomorrow. Chad there that. is a new one tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Wow. You better believe I You'll see Chad it on that. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> if they were to make a new record, would you be involved in terms of being available at HQ? Would you be tapped for any of that? I don't think so. We're, as the guy before me, because he was San Francisco-based, he was probably... So what would be the kind of work he was doing just because he was lived near the area? Uh, I mean, he just probably would just be there. Just be around, yeah. on just hands. Be around. An extra yeah. set of hands to help yeah. out with whatever. Yeah, that's cool. So would you say the S&M shows were easier than the All Within My Hands Foundation show? On my side, I would say it was a bit easier because we had the whole tuning room crew there, mm-hmm. where the All Within My Hands and Chris Cornell, we didn't. So it was a little more stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was it was a bit easier because we were all there. Wow. Yeah. Were there any differences between S and M night one and night two? Was it stressful having a day off? Would you rather just knock them both um, out? One of them was on the sixth. The other one was on the eighth. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. That was the biggest. Difference. That's a wow. That's <laughs> fascinating. It is interesting that Com- they didn't both occur on the same night at the same time. Some compelling stuff right there, folks. Uh, I mean, for me, they were. They were both pretty similar. Yeah, there were yeah. no differences for me. Were there right. tuning rooms before S and M? Yeah. Oh yeah. What happened Full in tuning those, room? Let's, what happened in those tuning rooms? What did they play? Do you remember? No. I don't remember. Can we get anything. someone on the show who knows things? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate Wes's honesty because it's. Well, I mean, again, because well, it's this business is some, as usual. Well, yeah, and this is something that you're doing every every day. There's a show. It's. Do the boys seem a little more nervous than usual, or do they seem chill and cool and pro? Um, I mean, they were. I think they were, they got comfortable, you know, they, yeah. I think leading into it, there was a little bit of anxiety, but it, it, they got more comfortable. Mm-hmm. With it. I wonder about bands. I mean, maybe have Kings put out DVDs, like live DVDs? Surely they have. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Actually. I'm not sure about a live. I know they did a, they had a documentary. A documentary. Yeah. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah. Eddie Vedder's in that. Yeah. What another Chris Cornell thing, but he was in the Kings of Lean documentary. But um, <laughs> I do wonder about them, even though they're a band that have put out so many Huge, I mean, Binge and Purge in Mexico Cliff City, and San Diego, yeah. Cliff them all. As they already did one S&M and right. Hunting Stunts and Mexico City, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on forever. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they know it's like being filmed, so they know that they got to bring their A game. Mm-hmm. They got two nights, of course, to get it right. They're going to compile the best of both nights. Greg Fiddleman's, of course, there to sort of produce everything and make sure they got it. Right. But I do wonder about the boys' energy. Like, it's like game time, you know, like it feels like almost like a different energy if you know it's going to be, you know, carved in stone and right, posterity yeah. forever. Well, they had two chances to do it, but I also would imagine that, I mean, they were, for a band that never really repeats things, for them to do even one S&M show was a huge deal. Yeah. So to do two and to see the reaction that it got with the whole ticket sale thing, um, I'd imagine that their, their, their adrenaline was high and they were excited, you know, and with that comes some anxiety too, but... If I was in that I say position, anxiety. I don't say they had anxiety, but that's just the word that I used. I don't know. <laughs> they were. I mean, they were a little more up for it. I guess you know they were. Well, it's something different. I mean, anxious, maybe. Is yeah. More a better term. Did uh, Did you have a sense as a guy behind the scenes? I mean, you're an important part of what makes this whole thing work. And so, thousands and thousands of people every night are having an experience that might be the only time they see Metallica. It might be the last time they see Metallica. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, yeah. Do you have a sense of a show like that? Like this is a really important show for the band, for the fans, etc. Uh, I think so, but at the same time, it's just I'm I'm just there doing my job. I right. mean, and the way right. I 
always look at it as this is the same thing I'm doing every night. You know, right. it's mm-hmm. just in a different place. Yeah, know? yeah. I guess it might it might it might vary per crew member too. Maybe if one crew member was like a massive Metallica fan and started working for the band, they might really see the importance of this gig or whatever. You know, yeah. or like Wes is like. I'm doing a job. It's business, you know. Um, They're all important gigs. I mean, that's, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Because, like, like you said, there it's, it is, right you know, there. It, it's it could be your first Metallica show, it could be your last Metallica show. You know, every every gig is an important well gig. said, my well friend. Well said. You you said it. I just repeated you. Well, well said. <laughs> well said. Well, Clinton Wells West. said. Wells said. That's my last name. <laughs> it is. Well, good grief, man! Thanks, Wes, for coming and yeah, telling us you, all man. about your job. Yeah, certainly. I hope after James Hetfield hears this episode, he doesn't fire you for being so cool. That's okay. I'll get you out on the Brandy Carlisle gig. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Pow. That'd be fun. Pow. <laughs> uh, we're really lucky to have people like you come by HQ. We're lucky to call you a friend, dude. Yeah. Certainly. It's been a really nice part of all this. And of course, you guys had a history before this. Sure. But for me to be able to text Wes and be like, dude, what are they doing for us too? And not feel like a total douche for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Even though he was like, I don't know. Quit asking me. Yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave lose me alone. lose my number. New number. Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I appreciate you, dude. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, it was fun. And good luck with the rest of it, whatever else you got going on. I guess Australia, New Zealand, South America. Yeah. And or- you'll, you'll have a, m- a much needed uh, break coming up here after all that uh, yes. over the holidays, which yes. will be nice. It will be nice. Give your best. Home time. Give, give our best to your wife and kids. I will. They won't know who I am, but. They won't know who Clint is. <laughs> but of but course, rem- give my best. They might remember me. I met him like four years ago. Yeah. They know Ethan. One of those kids is a fucking firefighter. Yeah. Bad, well, I'm old. Badass. Yeah. I'm old. Maybe when he's in his 30s, he'll start touring. He'll do, he'll do the Viva La Vida 20-year anniversary tour. There I we go. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. <laughs> oh, man. He's way too smart for that. Oh, come on, Wes. You're a smart guy. I don't know how to... I, I would blow people up if I did pyro. It's a smart guy gig. No, it's just a pay attention guy gig. I would blow exactly. people up if I did a word wedge gig. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I plug this in? Elect- electrocute James. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, yeah, seriously, Wes, thanks for doing this. This has been super fun, and uh, I'm sure our, our fans are going to love this stuff. They like they like the little tidbits of information behind the scene that we get to provide for them via people like you. If you want to find Wes on the socials, you can't because he's not there. <laughs> yeah. So your only way to have access to Wes and his wonderful world is through Metal Up Your Podcast. You heard it here. This is a Metal Up Your Podcast exclusive. Or go to a show, and if you see him, if you see Wes run by you, something's wrong. So yeah. You won't be able to if say you see, hi. If you ever see me running, something is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Wes, about... And we'll we'll sort of end with this. This okay. is a nice little note to know. What do you think about the fact that Metallica has cultivated such a community around itself that people get deep enough where they even care about people like you? You're a part of the team. People care about Chad. They know Jimmy and Zach. Of yeah, course, I, Zach's been here forever. What do you think about being a part of that? And someone someone actually might see you and recognize you and be like, Wes, what's up? Uh, it's very cool. I mean, Metallica fans are really, really cool like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're super gracious people, awesome people. You know, they're they're very into knowing, you know, all the 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 people close to the band. Right. Um, I'm not trying to be a dick when you're asking me for a set list or it's a pick. Just I just right. I have a job to do, and totally. I'm doing that. So yeah, leave that to the back yeah. end, guys. Yeah, they're better at that than me, right? <laughs> well, it's true. It's like you're not really there to no. Yeah, I know it's a big. And thing. I'm not. I'm not trying to be rude. And if oh yeah, no, and that's a tough part about uh, being on a crew and people asking for things when the show's in. And when the band leaves that arena or that stadium, it's you're working even. You're that's the hardest. Yeah, or the I, most you know energetic right. time of. 
I working still have and three or four up. more hours of work to do. Right, you know? exactly. So the sooner I can get to that, the better. Yeah, and that's the thing that people don't understand about crew as much is like they set it all up, but then they don't really get to chill. The band yeah. gets to come in and play and split. The crew sets it up, then the crew's got to be on hand because you have some kind of job like teleprompter or word wedge for Metallica, <laughs> where you have to watch the whole. You're basically watching the entire show mm-hmm. and working. Then the band splits, and you got to pack it all up. Yeah, it's those are long days. When I was on uh, Zach Brown's, I was on their lighting rig, their rig bus. They were the first up and the last yep. down, man, yep. and they partied. Yeah, so that was fascinating. <laughs> I mean, they worked hard, dude. Caterers like to party, too, I've noticed. I've a never bit. hung with catering. They, you can't. You can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because they party oh hard. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, they party so hard. And they have, they have to be up at like 5 in the morning to make, have breakfast up by 7. And yeah. It's crazy. And, you know, I, I I have to wake up at noon for or be in, <laughs> at noon as a backline guy. And I'm like, oh, it's 1 a.m. I better, oh, go dude. To, better go to bed. <laughs> I sleep till 11 or 12 and then text my tour manager and say, what are my obligations today? <laughs> and I've already been given a day sheet and I have Master Tour. Right. You're one of those guys. I'm like, can I go to the hotel or what? Like, <laughs> like, it's, it's in Master Tour. <laughs> I'll bet that's your most common response on tour is, Clint, it's in Master Tour. Well, they understand me. <laughs> they understand me. What time sound check again? Same time Anytime we, I have a new tour manager, I just try to get in super tight with them because I know that I'm going to be the the butthole saying right i didn't look at the thing just tell me the info <laughs> for sure <laughs> well wes thank you so much dude we really appreciate it hey thanks for having yeah. me heck yeah let's and, uh, hang out and drink some more Coors light heck yeah i wish i could you gotta go uh this is metal up your podcast where we have insiders in the metallica camp come into our various studios mm-hmm. and tell us all about their lives and how they work and we're so lucky that's so fun and if you like the show leave the review go to patreon metalupyourpodcast.com we got t-shirts we got other shit Lunar Satan's coming out. Scott Pingo's going to be playing on Lunar Satan. Mm, that's awesome. I can't wait to hear that. We've got the SNM2 conductor coming on the show. We've got Joe Sib coming on the show. The Chad Z episode will be dropping at some point. We don't know. I'm about to leave for tour. Yeah. I'm doing an unusual, like, 10 days on the road. Yeah, that's crazy for you. Coming up, which I'm dreading. But we'll negotiate and figure out some way to put some episodes out. Yeah. Joe Sib is awesome. Just so you know. Awesome. Super cool, dude. Very cool. Uh, I got his number in my phone. Oh, no big deal. <laughs> uh, kind of a big deal around You got here. Joe Sib's number, Wes? Yeah, Wes. I don't, I don't have Joe Sib's number. <laughs> I think so. We love the Melpier Podcast community. We couldn't do this without you. We love you guys so much, and your support is it's mind-blowing every week. It's amazing. So with that, we're going to see you on the flip-flop, and we're going to say... Peace. Adios. If you were... Or what would you say? And then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>